This podcast is brought to you by Percocet. Whether you're getting your wisdom teeth taken out or just looking for a good Friday night, choose Percocet. Did you like the car seat headrest reference? Because that is very relevant, not to spoil too is much. Is it the chorus yet? <laughs> yeah, also that. No, Welcome it's to verse. We Bought a Mic. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew Dietzen. And I might be crazy, but I think I just heard a ghost. I think there's a digital ghost coming through the um, internet waves Guys, this here. isn't this isn't Unfriended that we're viewing this week. <laughs> It's, no, it's on front of the dark web. Ah, oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm spooked. I'm a kid and I saw a ghost. It's Adam Sidorius. How's it going, man? Uh, great. And even better now that I'm here talking about a better movie than last time. That's true. We did talk about not the maybe the worst we, movie we've oh, ever yeah, we talked about. Oh, yeah. We talked about Wrinkle in Time yeah, last time. So. Last time you were on. So <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> we're happy that you're back to talk Hereditary today. Um. Among some other things, including a bunch of movies that Hunter saw while he was passed out in bed. and uh, Yeah, I like to watch movies while I sleep. Well, you know, in, in some sort of... Um, Days. Induced yeah. coma. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we got other things. I mean, usually we start light, like our A block is just like some stupid news that doesn't really matter. But this week we have some really important shit to bring to you guys this is this might be the most important piece of film news in film history now i know adam <laughs> is a big fan of this one he's been the the main champion of this film um the upcoming tag yes uh, <laughs> is being reported that jeremy renner uh has cgi arms <laughs> he throughout bro- <laughs> he broke both of his arms on the third day of shooting tag yeah um, which is funny because he in the movie he's the guy who's never it. So I mean he wasn't even tagging anyone. He just like he fell. Also, he's like probably one of the biggest stars in the movie. So yeah. I'm sure that when that happened three days into shooting, they were like, Oh, okay, so this movie's not happening. Yeah. Everyone go home. So I mean, I just I hope that this doesn't ruin what is otherwise going to be probably the best movie of the the decade. You know, I don't want this to throw a wrench in that. Adam, what do you what do you think about our our boy Renner? I have two thoughts about this. The first one is, it amazes me that he did a Bourne movie, uh, like three Avengers movies, and a few other action movies. I cancel on Gretel, but this is the movie that he broke his arms on. Right? Yeah. I don't know, man. I think he broke he he probably. Um, you know, he flips houses, so I think that had something to do with it. Uh, he was literally trying to pick up and yeah, flip a house It's like, over. come on, Renner, you don't have to literally flip yeah. the house. This is this is honestly just <laughs> fucking hilarious. Like, 
this this movie i've been i've been really struggling with this movie i i like i tweeted about it the other day because like it i just i have this visceral reaction to the premise of it i don't like that it's based on this true story i remember reading about the true story and being like i hate these guys they're all just like a bunch of rich guys who play tag and i i don't like that they got richer because of their story (laughs) (laughs) you know and I've been coming to grips with the fact that this might be good. It might be. Like, the trailer makes it seem like it might be, like, Neighbors level, which I thought was, like, decent, not great. You know? I think it might be around that level. I mean, any movie with John Hamm is at least okay. The whole whole cast is really good. The jokes in the the trailer aren't, like, cringeworthy. They're, like, half decent. Some Mm. of them are pretty bad, but I don't know. I've been, like, I've gone through all six stages of grief (laughs) just just to decide that maybe I should just give it a chance, you know? So yeah, one of my friends saw it and he really liked it. Really? Okay. okay. Yeah, I was I was wondering if you or if one of your friends, since you're kind of in the inner circle of Hollywood at this point, so <laughs> right, you <laughs> you personally know Jeremy Renner, right? Yeah, like so. you guys are texting about his recovery. Yeah, you can't. Be, I'm sorry, Adam. You can't be right. objective about this. <laughs> you're too, you're too good friends with all of them. What, and also, I have to wonder what is his, like. Is his CG arms gonna look bad? Yeah, like, that's is the thing. Be like Cavill's mustache. I, I oh, my just, oh my god! I, I heard they just copied his entire upper lip and they just put it as like two <laughs> full length arms. They copy paste. I hope that he just has like a noodle arms for just like one scene. They look around, and you're like, that's not how a human arm moves. Yeah. Like, what is it? There's actually okay. Well, I'm concerned because it's WB as well, and if they didn't spend oh, that much no. money on Justice Shoot. League, how much money are they gonna spend on Tag? Oh, for no. Jeremy Renner's arm. <laughs> it's just going to be two mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a piece on The Ringer. Um, one of the staff writers for The Ringer went in deep into the trailer to try to figure <laughs> out what shots were CGI arms. Because for the most part, uh, Renner has long sleeves in every single Man. shot. Oh, and shit. the other cast members alternate between having... They, they mostly wear short sleeves like you can see their bare arms in mm. most of the shots this this has to be the best investigative journalism piece of the year right <laughs> i mean well he he discovered in one frame you can see the cast damn is it, it poked out from from the sleeve it's like the, it's like a classic short form improv game where someone else is doing controlling the arms and you're the person it, colin and ryan used to do this bit on whose line all the time i've seen it it's going to be all practical effects he also found this other screen cap where his hands are um very obviously cgi hands because the way he's laying them on the table in front of him is just very unnatural looking (laughs) so i'm just gonna see this movie just to try to point out like all right real hands cgi hands cgi arms it's what's the ratio to real like in in all seriousness this did make me more excited for this movie (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't think it's gonna lose anyone like i'm I'm pumped this is the best piece of marketing they could possibly have for tag well it's the same thing with justice league i got more excited for justice league when i found out about the mustache thing Mm. that's true that actually provided some entertainment and is what was otherwise a very abysmal movie also it's just like looking at certain scenes and being like that's not what a human face looks like also how did Renner injure himself more for tag than Tom Cruise has for like 20 different movies? Scientology, dude. <laughs> yeah, Tom Cruise Renner's is not a super Yo, L. Ron Hubbard was onto something, okay? Like, that's all I'm saying. Tom Cruise is jumping out of helicopters and shit. And Jeremy Renner's like, he literally Oops. climbed the biggest building in Dubai, but yeah, he, uh, J- Jeremy Renner broke his arms playing tag. Yeah, he was just like dodging John Hamm. <laughs> 
that's that's absolute classic all right well let's uh let's move on to what we've been listening to we got some new music this week um yeah it's Um, uh wait a minute did you guys talk about yay last week yeah we we did did. i yeah i want to talk about it a little bit okay Okay. Um, since you weren't on the podcast last week this yeah so i i was really really high on Pusha t's album obviously entirely produced by kanye for being short and concise and complete and yay is not that at all it's it's publicized that i don't know if you guys talked about this but he basically scrapped it and restarted like two weeks before it came out uh and honestly doesn't surprise me (laughs) yeah and you can definitely definitely tell it sounds like there are so there are hints of the greatness that we all know like there's so like i think the song ghost town is incredible oh that's the best song yeah it's also i don't know if you guys mentioned but it's a it's kind of a coming out party for 070 shake she does the, the final oh, yeah, hook, yeah. the, you know, I feel so, kind of, which is, that's the best moment on the I album. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It reminds me a lot of Runaway, um, mm-hmm. and it's just Ooh. over and over, and it never really gets old. Um, it's kind of like, so that's a coming out for her in the same way that Monster was for Nicki Minaj back in the day. Mm-hmm. But with that said, most of the songs on this album feel half-baked to me. They feel incomplete. Um, notoriously with Yeezus, what Kanye did. There's a famous story from Rick Rubin that Kanye, he, he slaved over the beats. He put so much time into the beats and it sounds incredible. And then like a week before uh, it was set to release, he was like, yo, Rick Rubin, like I'm done. I'm done with the beats. I just have to add words now. And Rick is like, <laughs> Rick's like, that's not normal, dude. <laughs> that's not a- yeah. I am a God. <laughs> yeah. But the result is an album that I think is incredible because it has like really visceral language with sometimes the lyricism is not great. Um, but the beats are the focus of the album this album just it's neither kind of um yeah it's it's disappointing but to be honest like it's in line with kanye's yeah descent exactly insanity like some songs are good ghost town is good there's that song i'm blanking on the name but it sounds like it is like a half-baked yeezus song and i really enjoy listening to it it's the one with the really sexual lyrics obviously because that's all i want or all, all, all mine all mine, mine all mine yeah, yeah i was gonna say yikes and all mine are both they're like half yeah. of the good kanye song the, but they are half baked that's what i yeah. described the album as last week and do you want to do you want to know something funny this is kind of the push a t drake beef concluded and i don't know if you guys got into that but um yeah, uh, yeah. so essentially drake's claims that he had dirt on kanye that would end kanye's career I'm honestly not even doubting that too much. Uh, I don't want to know how much Kanye has ghostwriters because it seems like he very much may. Um, but this is kind of uh, some points for Drake in this because he wrote the hook for Yikes, which is really? probably the best songwriting on the whole album. <laughs> it's like hilarious. an incredible hook. Um, and he gave it to Kanye when Push's one of his biggest disses well, there, was the ghostwriting. There's a slight nod to the ghostwriting claims with by putting Nicki Minaj at the end, like that voicemail. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, you can use my line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let him hear this. It's The thing is, like, overall, I think it is a good album, and I think Kanye's worst is probably better than a lot of people's best output. Um, And another thing I I do, (laughs) this is stupid, but I appreciate this album because it answers what used to be kind of an impossible question, which is what is Kanye's worst album? Yep, and now <laughs> it's yeah. very clear. I think yep. this is it. I think it yep. could have been a lot better, Easily. but it's just not. Um, so yeah, that's that's it. Uh, do you have any anything to add on that, Adam? Did you listen to Yay? Yeah, I just um, listened to it yesterday. Actually, I listened to Ye- uh, Yay and um, Kids See Ghosts like back to back for the first time. Okay. Uh, 
And I actually like Yay. Uh, it's not, it's like you said, it's far from his best. It's actually probably his worst. But I still um, think it's good, though, right? Yeah, I still enjoyed it. Um, maybe it's just because, like, Kanye's, like, my image of Kanye in my head has gone down so much in the past, like, month. Yeah, um, that that's I like true. maybe and maybe this is unfair, but I just had lower expectations. No, now. that's that's yep, completely yeah, fair. It's exactly. it's impossible to separate this album from all the noise around it more so than any of his other albums because he talks about the noise in the album. A right? Lot. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't go deep into it though, which was yeah. what I was hoping. I was yeah. hoping that he would give us a little bit more insight. Yeah. Um, and it's just very superficial. But let's get into Kids See Ghosts because I think this is, you know, um without a doubt a much much better album so Mm -hmm. he also produced this has a couple verses on it but it's mainly it's pretty much a kid cuddy album yeah like there's very little kanye on there aside from the production it it should have just yeah he does have some verses on there and everything but um and almost every song he at least has like one little verse on here um so i listened to this album as soon as it came out on friday just because like, we talked about wherever this whole thing was announced that Kid Cudi and Kanye were having an album coming out together. And I had really high hopes for this, more so than even Kanye's solo album, just because I've been really wanting for there to be another good Kid Cudi album. But a lot of the times the problem on Kid Cudi albums is he does really, he makes really odd choices with his production and they don't work out, in my opinion. So, yeah, I was... Uh, overall, I really, really enjoy Kid See Ghost a lot. Like, I, it's been an album that I've had, like, at least over half of the songs stuck in my head, like, multiple points yeah. throughout the last couple of days since listening to it. Yeah, uh, I think Kid Cudi is really underrated at uh, producing really good melodies. He's mm-hmm. he's great at hooks, and there are some great hooks in this. I think this is probably incrementally better than Ye. I don't think it's that much better, personally, but... Uh, it does sound a little more cohesive than Ye does, and it's just, it's, you know, I, I feel like it's more, it's because it's not all Kanye. Like, there's there's something more solid there, which is funny to call Kid Cudi the, the cohesive part of the yeah. album, because he's notoriously, <laughs> like, super out there. Um, but I, I enjoy this album, and like you said, I would I would agree that about half of the songs, like, are, boom, like, instant in the playlist, mm. like, they're there. Yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that there, he's putting out these seven-track albums, like, you know, Daytona, Yay, and now this one. It, it seems like he's going for some, si- some type of series here. Mm. I don't know if this is the last one, but I like the theme of keeping them short. Um, this might be the longest one of the three, At- or... It's twenty three minutes. So I no, think they're all about yeah. They're all about the same, but still. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think Daytona set like a pretty high bar, and so far, Yay and Kid Seagos haven't really met that bar of justifying the the short track list of it being just like this really punchy, yeah, short, awesome record like what Daytona is. Mm-hmm. Kid Seagos, I kind of feel about the same way as i do about yay which is you have of the seven tracks probably like three or four of them are really good and then the other ones you can just toss out and not really yeah i shits about i really do daytona i would give like a nine i really think it's an incredible project i think it's like borderline for what it is i think it's completely perfect like it's it's kind of incredible and uh, Yay and Kids See Ghosts did come afterward, which is unfortunate for them. And I think I would hover them somewhere in the sevens range. I think that they're mm. solid. Like, so I, I, I had a, a weird experience listening to Kids See Ghosts because I think the the songs were like misordered or misnamed. Because I was listening to Fire 
and it was actually Kids See Ghosts, but the song was called Fire in That's Spotify. Weird. So my my Spotify was fucked up. Yeah, so my experience to listening to it was all fucked up, well, and then I went back and re-listened. And I was like, wait, I thought this song was good. But now it's called something different. No, Kanye has also been editing the album like continually, just like he did with Pablo. So maybe that's part of it, honestly. Like, uh, he's editing Kids and Ghosts. Yeah, he's he's made changes to it since it came out. Uh, what did you say, Adam? Sorry. Spotify? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in streaming everywhere, he's he's made like small changes here and there. He <laughs> changed lyrics on Yay. I'm pretty sure. Also, yeah, he added uh, a couple lines. <laughs> Which, what do you what do you think of Kids and Ghosts, Adam? Um, I, uh, I I like it a little bit more than Yay. Uh, just because I think it flows like way better, like you know, track mm, to track. I agree. Um, which I don't always think that's like a positive or negative thing, but this is just like a very like smooth album. Um, and okay, I'm assuming "Feel the Love" is the first one, indeed. But that's that one's my favorite. Um, uh, actually, like, uh, uh, right now it says Fourth Dimension" is the first one on there. So. Okay, see, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> no, whatever for the first me, one is, for me, it says "Feel the Love." Yeah, like oh. he's actively well, making. Okay, changes, then never mind. Literally. We're all listening to a little bit of a different album. <laughs> yeah, like it's crazy. Well, I'm reading the Rolling Stone article right now, uh, and it says apparently "Feel the Love" is the first one. And oh, yeah. Yeah. If that's true, mm. that's my favorite one. Um, but so yeah, it's, when, it's I first, uh, when I first when I first listened to it, it was Fourth Dimension. Okay, so I guess my Spotify hasn't hasn't updated it yet. I actually like I I really enjoy this album a lot. Like I think that this is a good bit better than Yay. Yay, I'm really like I was not a fan of that album, like really at all. Like I thought that it was still it was fine. It was even maybe like pretty good, but I actually like like I said, like since I first discovered this album, I have been listening to it pretty continuously. I think that there's like several songs on here are just like jams and even like songs that like the first time i listened to it i did not like the song free uh parentheses ghost town part two but since then like earlier today i've just like had that song stuck in my head just i think like, that's a pretty good one free. <laughs> it's just like it's such like it it sounds ghoulish like i like it i like uh, a ghoulish <laughs> type of album that's my second favorite one because it's just so uh, experimental but yeah i just love the beat to it yeah it kind of reminds me i mean it's completely different but almost like a little bit of like an Anderson Pock vibe where they're just trying to do something, whether or not it actually works or not. I like that they're trying to do it. And then also, I love the song uh, Reborn, which for me, it's the last song in the album. I don't know what order it is. It's the guys. third to last. Oh, so it's right in the middle of the album. <laughs> so I've been listening to these songs all in the wrong order, too. But so you see, the, this is what I'm fucking confused about because you might, when you say Reborn, you might be talking about Cuddy Montage. No, it's definitely Reborn because it's okay. like, I'm so, I'm so reborn. Okay. Yeah, great hook. Yeah. Um, I but- think I think a couple of the songs on this album do still suffer from the same thing where they sound just like a little more production and they would be like borderline perfect songs. Like Reborn, for example. I love Reborn. It has one of the best hooks this year. But I think a little more work and it could have been like a really like... I, I, I think Man on the Moon, the first album... Mm-hmm is essential kind of like yeah, it's, it's i mean great. for anyone our age especially like it was just kind of an integral album to like our music development it was right around the age where we started listening to stuff that like wasn't on the radio and there were probably like four or five songs on there that are timeless mm-hmm. and i think that there are a couple on this album that like border on that level but i i went back and listened to old Kid Cudi and I was like, "Holy shit!" It's yeah, just it's still... kind of it's sad that he never really went back up to that bar that he set like, for himself so early. Yeah, the beat of of "Make Her Say" is legitimately yeah. it could have come out any year in the past twenty years and it would still be good. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, any any last thoughts, Adam? 
Uh, no, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. It's like I said, it's, I think he really did peak at life of Pablo. Like that's my, that's my favorite Kanye of all time. That's, that's Um, really cool. See, I was higher on that than a lot of people were. I don't put it number one, but I like your take. Yeah. I mean, then again, I'm not like a, I, I I do love Kanye, but like, I'm not like, you know, like a diehard or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so like my takes, like they're not like in concrete or anything like i have the oh it's in concrete <laughs> it's it's on podcast form it's in concrete now it's, it's here okay sorry. <laughs> all right let's m- uh but yeah what you have uh you have another thought oh no no that was good okay oh um i did want to add one more thing i think that all of kanye's verses on kids see ghosts are better than any of his verses on ea Okay. Which I I actually got more out of the Kanye versus on Kids See Ghost than I did on EA. It was like a little bit more of like ah, this is why. Well, yeah, from that's Kanye. Like, that's because it. he's not trying to be a fucking obnoxious asshole trying yeah. to explain his own craziness or whatever yeah. he's doing. But okay. um, someone who should also not be trying to explain their own craziness is tom cruise whoa there we go uh, that was a transition that's good that's good <laughs> okay Didn't notice star it. and producer of the original mission impossible directed by brian de palma so let's get to what we've been watching guys <laughs> it has begun Ernest just like won't shut the fuck up about mission impossible. the rewatch for my whole life <laughs> the <laughs> rewatch is is here i am watching every single mission impossible movie leading up to fallout and it begins here with the first one, 1996. And over the next couple pods, we're going to be talking about every single one leading up to and Fallout. And by we, we just mean you. Yeah. You're yeah, going to no, no, no. explain. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Did Adam, you, you'll do did it Did you get us. a chance to rewatch the original? Um, No, but I've seen it so many times that it doesn't really matter. So okay. I, I hadn't seen it in a long time. So I was really looking forward to this rewatch. And I got to say... It's not really a great movie, but it's so <laughs> damn fun, and it's yeah. cool to see it compared to where the series has gone recently, because at this point, it's so bonkers, like, the lengths that Tom Cruise goes to just entertain us, that in this movie, in this first one, it's it feels like a very small movie. It's just Ethan Hunt trying to prove his innocence. That's That's really it. And... Of course, the iconic scene of them breaking into the CIA and him dangling from that wire. Mm. That fucking scene, it holds up so well. It looks Mm. amazing. Everything about it works perfectly. The third act kind of falls apart. Mm. It's a really crazy, like, um, helicopter chase. Uh, it's, It's a helicopter chasing a train down a tunnel. So the helicopter is in the tunnel behind the train. Yeah, you and know, it, classic. It, it looks pretty, pretty, uh, pretty rough. That's your classic situation. <laughs> That's what I love about this movie, though. Like the first half of this movie is like totally a grind to Palma movie. Mm. Like the framing and the camera work and the style of the whole movie yeah. is totally Brian to Palma. Yeah. And then the latter half is like a generic action movie. Like they're two completely separate movies. I think the the stuff at the end is is pretty bad pretty rough i mean it it all culminates in the helicopter rotors like it, it ending up like an inch from tom cruise's uh adam's apple so like close-up of the road just stopping just shy of his throat practical effects that's his real adam's apple man but hey man tom cruise you what say whatever you want about him you know he's an insane person and all that crazy scientologist but he gives it a hundred percent every time. Honestly, oh, yeah. he is the man. Like he just I is. love Tom Cruise. Like in I don't this know movie, like 
he's great. I, I he sells it. I've been wanting to rewatch, especially all the old Mission Impossible movies, just because Fallout's coming out soon. And we okay, so like, uh, for your birthday party, like April, we watched uh, Mission Impossible Two. Yeah, which with no audio, no audio. We just had the the video on, <laughs> and it was that's really cool. It was great. Um, but. <laughs> I've been wanting to rewatch them just because I honestly haven't watched the old Mission Impossible movies since I was probably about like 10 years old because this was the Mission Impossible, the original trilogy were movies that I would go to the local library and I would rent the VHS tapes of them like all the time. Like I would turn them in, get the other one, return it, go back. I wouldn't even watch them. I would just rent them oh, and okay. put them back Naturally. in. But yeah, but like I love, love the original trilogy and I know that they don't hold up as well. But it's one of those things like when you're a kid and you form an attachment yeah. with something, I always have a soft spot. I mean, next week I'm probably going to talk about Mission Impossible 2 and that's a John Woo movie. So we're going to be talking. So many doves. <laughs> we're going to be talking long hair Tom Cruise. Oh my oh, God, that's the best part. Him dangling. Yeah, him climbing cliff. a cliff. Yeah. So it's going to be great. But Tom, Tom Cruise is such an interesting movie star to me. Like, I think that the reason he has such longevity is because he's perfectly on that line. There's a line that, that casting agents have talked about. Uh, like, I've read interviews uh, for males especially, because male viewers tend to be intimidated if, if the lead is too attractive. Right. He's right on the line because he is he's attractive enough that watching him is pleasant, but he's not... He's not super intimidating because he's kind of like a, tw- a twink. Mm, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's really short. And he just, he knows exactly what how to be himself. He knows what we want and he's not trying to do anything fancy most of the time. He's just trying yeah. to be action star. He's like, Tom he's Cruise. attractive, but he is that point where like all men watch him and they're like, I want to be Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's man, like one thing where you want to be them. He and you're can not, like, run really fast. <laughs> he sprints in like every movie. Yeah. He's, yeah, and him, the, and, the, him and Keanu Reeves are both just balls out doing all their own stunts when they have no no reason to like they just want to yeah they're hey jeremy just, renner too, like they're both near 50 yeah, they, yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they have kind of parallel careers and oh they're incredibly God. different it's tom 50 <laughs> hey jeremy renner take notes take notes okay yeah really this is what you do. you're not tom cruise well okay? renner renner he's was too in, ugly to be tom cruise is renner in the new one because he was in ghost protocol do you no, know was he in rogue nation last week and he said he wasn't oh okay Never okay. Mind. What an absolute bummer. They had to replace him with another person. Wait, they've people, had to use CGI. People are already seeing Fallout. Things. Someone already saw Fallout. Um, maybe I shouldn't talk about it. But, uh, Whoa. My, my friend. Yeah, my friend did see it. Oh. Exclusive. No, I mean, I, I know that you people... heard it here first. Renner <laughs> is not in Mission Impossible. Oh shit! Or breaking news. <laughs> um. No. Well, breaking I mean, arms. I knew that it was uh that crit- that some people have already seen it because. The general reception of it so far has been really positive. So, dude, it's a fucking Mission Impossible movie. Why wouldn't <laughs> yeah. it be? Those movies are amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's literally like my most anticipated movie of the summer. I it's I all I ask for. Get in, head, in front of your binge, but like, how would you guys rank these movies? I I honestly have they're mission impossible movies they're classic uh cable movies and i've only seen them in passing to be honest they all get better so the newest one was the best so um i i I actually have not seen rogue nation yet um i have the blu-ray i know i know i'm sorry Ernest is glaring at me. You just said what i know i'm sorry so i just never actually saw them but i have i own every mission impossible movie so 
I'm will, excited to just watch them yeah. for the first time. I will say you really have to see Rogue Nation before Fallout because oh, I mean, I have the, I have Rogue Nation. I've seen Rogue Nation before. Oh, I, you meant um, Ghost Protocol? Okay, yeah, I haven't seen okay. Ghost Protocol. Yeah. I mix those Jesus up. Jesus Christ! So Rogue Nation so actually many. leads into Fallout, like the True. the um the narrative does. Um, but you know. It's just Tom Cruise running really yeah. fast and doing crazy shit. Um, so. so, so Adam, you agree though that it's like a totally linear scale of how good they get. Like they just get better and better. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I would go Rogue Nation, uh, Mission Impossible Three. I love MI3. Oh, the JJ. I love MI3. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So good. And then, like that opening scene along with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh my God! Yes, that whole scene is just like that's that's amazing. Like, and then Ghost peak. Protocol. Yeah, then goes Protocol, okay. and then, okay, like from an enjoyment standpoint, I'd put Mission Impossible 2 at number four, but like yeah. from a filmmaking standpoint, I'd <laughs> put the first one. Um, so I, I think, have no the, I think the first two. two are pretty even. So the, the best part about uh, Mission Impossible 2 is when uh, <laughs> bad guy is wearing Tom Cruise mask in the airplane. And then he takes it because you see, and you're like, "That's not Tom Cruise's smile. He's doing evil things." And it takes off. It's like that's just a Tom Cruise mask. Take a shot every time someone takes a mask off. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> you die. Up. Mission Impossible is Scooby Doo. <laughs> um, all right. Well, all right. we'll we'll keep talking Mission Impossible as we lead into Fallout. But uh, let's talk some TV shows that we've been catching up on. First, Legion. Um, so we're leading into the finale next week. And I, I need to talk about this show because, to be honest, I have no idea what the fuck is <laughs> happening at this point. Okay, I'm glad you said it because I thought we were about to go to like a big analyzation of movies. No, I'm, nope. I'm so lost. Okay, so here's my theory. Everything that is happening on that desert is in some sort of like interspatial dimensional realm that is outside yes. of reality. Yeah. Okay. That, sure, that was yeah. the thing that I was having the most trouble with because I was like... It, everyone's like teleporting and okay well the we had car, a, we, like zapped in out. season one we had a three episode arc inside of a person's brain so yeah. i'm just this is one of those things where i don't necessarily know where the show's going but i'm so along for the Hearing ride you for guys, everything you you guys talking about this exhausts me more than watching anything <laughs> like it makes me like want to go to sleep right now um it's so well, much we won't we won't dwell too much on it but i i i think that um it's taking a lot out of me to try to just keep up with making sense of it and it it i watched two episodes back to back today like the newest two and it was it was rough like i was having a really hard time just understanding what was happening i liked some of the character moments and seeing like the aubrey plaza character deal with her you know dual dual persona with the yeah. sister and um seeing david like descend further into like being full evil like the character stuff i i can really latch onto and appreciate but all of the weirder like more plot heavy stuff like we've talked about you know before i'm so lost i am so fucking lost (laughs) yeah i've kind of given up on trying to even understand this show in the slightest i'm like i'm literally just here for the visuals now yeah and some (laughs) character moments here and there like at for as far as plot goes, I'm convinced they don't even know, they don't even know what's going on. <laughs> like, it is so visually amazing though that I Hon- can't stop watching it. So, so to be honest, I don't know if you're implying this, but when I whenever I'm watching something and I don't think that the creator has the full concept of what's happening, I'm frustrated. Like, are you guys frustrated? With oh, that? okay. So 
I actually, on the other hand, I think that Noah Hawley knows exactly what he's doing, and I have full faith in him, like, as a showrunner and yeah. as a writer. So I think that he does know what he's doing. But I go about this the same way that I did with some of the episodes of Twin Peaks The Return, where it's like, I don't necessarily know everything that's happening right now, but I'm along for the ride, and I know the payoff is going to be worth it. And so far, Legion has never disappointed me in that regard. Like, mm-hmm. I actually like season two, I think at this point, a little bit more than season one. Just because of how weird it's It's been. going so weird, and it's going so in on certain things. There are been a little bit, it's gotten a little bit more bogged down in plot and everything else, which it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes. But the last uh, three episodes, because we haven't talked about Legion in a little bit, so the last three episodes... There's been plot stuff, but the way that it's being visualized is done such a cool way. We now have this, like, uh, weird monster who is, like, crawling on the walls. A minotaur. Like, a minotaur yeah. monster. Like, <laughs> and I'm just so on board with that shit. Like, give me more of that. Okay, so um, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I do want to bring up the latest, possibly last John Hamm um uh, Diatrab yeah. monologue. John Ham is in Legion. He's oh, his voice. He's a voiceover. <laughs> yeah, he does voiceover. Um, what the fuck? Man? So, is he the one that like describes like all those weird yeah, uh, the delusion. Yeah, that's John Ham. Okay, that's really so funny. Man. The newest one is a fucking like breakdown of like fake news and the the um the veil and the disconnect that people experience on the internet. It has absolutely nothing to do with Legion, but it's just there to help you kind of understand the idea of like not being able to connect with someone on a on a real level like some of the characters here because yeah just like narcissism and like that kind of level of sociopath because of the the characters interacting with each other outside of reality and like people not being who they seem to be and like inhabiting the bodies that aren't really theirs and like all of this weird shit it really kind of makes they're trying to tie it back to our reality and what that John Hamm monologue did was, like, tie it to what we've been experiencing lately with, like, the election and Facebook and and just the, the, the growth and sprawl of social media and how that has, like, not connected people but actually disconnected people. And I thought that was fucking genius. They didn't have to include that. Yeah, that, that just, doesn't really. I like, thought that we were done with the voiceovers after yeah. the one episode that we got where everybody got infected by the little black slimy the, yeah, the beetle thing eight, yeah yeah um the twin peaks part eight yeah guy. twin peaks um, part eight <laughs> legion part eight all right I'm, I'm gonna say something you guys are gonna think i'm too out there right now but sometimes i think they should call it anti-social media whoa, whoa. oh shit snaps. snaps that's fucked up but i said it <laughs> adam you uh you got any any final thoughts on on legion leading into the finale well i just want to clarify i didn't exactly mean that noah holly did not know what he was doing uh, he he's obviously like a great like visual guy, and mm. I do think he has he plans out his episodes, of course. But at the same time, though, like much like David Lynch in the last season, Twin Peaks, I don't think the people that are analyzing the show, like I don't think every frame means something in the way that some people think it does. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's there's just moments where I do think he just tries to be uh, visually cool for the sake of it, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think. You know, sometimes I need a little bit more, and maybe that's why no, I, I mean the first season. So I think far. I think you're right, but like I, 
at the same time, like, even if it's not necessarily to mean something, like, earlier in the season, we had a dance fight battle between the two characters. That was the first episode. Yeah, yeah, it was the first episode of the season. We have, like, what would have normally been displayed in any other show is just, like, an actual, like, physical fight. We just have, like, them having a dance-off with each other. And it was amazing. It was so cool. And if you're going to emulate and copy off of anyone... Fucking copy David Lynch. Yeah. There could be worse it's people kind of, to copy. It's funny that like there are so sim- so many similarities between Legion and Twin Peaks The Return, and there is no way that Noah Holly could have like made this after seeing Twin Peaks yeah, The Return just because filming would have added up right. But like both of them you can tell that Noah Holly comes from the same tree of David Lynch and just the style. That Adam, he do you do you uh, pick up on some of these similarities from the return? Do you appreciate them? Yeah, I do. And and I also have to say that I'm glad we're living in a world right now where we're calling a Marvel show like Twin Peaks esque. I think that's yeah, that's just, amazing. Like, in itself is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I will say like these last couple episodes like kind of tying the season together. They're getting very comic booky, very superhero-y. and it, I'd, I'll say they're like kind of the weaker parts of the show. They don't really work as well as the more surreal stuff, but at least it's like harkening back to its source material and where it came from. And, it- it is, and I feel like it's starting to kind of, it's really, because it was kind of, I was really was not digging all the District 3 stuff and stuff at the beginning of the season. I was like, I don't really Division want to spend three. Division 3, all this stuff here, and I was like, I don't want this to get too bogged down in what we're watching, but it seems like now the show towards the end of the season is really like catching its footing a little bit here, and I'm really like loving this whole story of David becoming just like, he's becoming the villain, like yeah, he's becoming truly on. evil, like not just like a guy who you're like... Uh, it's not like Barry where you watch him and you're like trying to kind of see the light in this guy. You're like, no, this guy's going like full on yeah. evil. Like, <laughs> All right. And it's re- it's renewed for a third season. So, so we'll see. Sweet. All right. Let's that's right. W- that's Legion on FX. Let's talk now. Move yeah. over to Westworld. So, Hunter, are you have you seen six and seven at least? No. Okay. So Hunter's pretty much <laughs> out on Westworld. Okay. So point. I was kind of talking about <laughs> a little bit he, last yeah, he week. Said this last week. Um, so I'm going to finish Westworld just for the two of you guys. I want you to know I'm only watching it because of you. Because otherwise, like, I'm I'm pretty much done with the show. I watched episode five and I thought that it was fine, but the fact that the entire cru- like emotional crux of the episode based on me caring about a robot for that I met 20 minutes ago and now the robot is dead and now I'm sad like I was like I'm I'm just I'm so done with the shit that the mm-hmm. show makes me go through okay listen listen here hunter i don't do this a lot but i'm going to publicly eat shit right now because i agree with you okay <laughs> oh shit oh my Whoa. god this yeah the, i've i've watched episodes 6 and 7 and i've made a sharp turn and i am I am. I had a strong foothold, and I was really trying to defend it, and I am losing my faith in it. Ernest is the only one of us that has seen episode eight, and he's really into it. Yeah, the eight just premiered uh, tonight, so we're recording Sunday night, but, and I literally saw it right before we recorded the podcast. So I'm not going to get too into it, but it's it's definitely the best episode okay. of the season easily. It, it usually gets good at the end, struggles in the. I mean, season one it did at yeah. least, but I I I can't even like. It was such a sharp reaction. I watched six and seven, and I was like, "Sixes, especially." I've heard like very polarizing opinions on okay. that. Some people love it, and yeah. other people hate I'm, it. I'm gonna break down why because it's not just out of nowhere. Adam, are you are you caught up? Uh, well, everything's about eight, uh, but I've seen seven. Okay, okay. so we, maybe we can get into a little bit of spoilers because Hunter doesn't Hunter give doesn't a shit. Care. I don't care. Okay. Like I'll watch it, but like I don't give a fuck. I don't even so. have that many. <laughs> Essentially, my the main a big issue that I have is 
Westworld, there's a lot of shows like this, and it's totally fine, but Westworld is a show that takes consumes a lot of mental energy just because there's a lot of moving parts yeah. you have to keep track. The problem is when the, when you lose faith in the direction of the show, you, fe- you really feel that with shows like that. You really feel like you're wasting your time and your energy that could be going to something else. It's not just like if I'm watching like a, a bad episode of The Office or something, it's not consequential. You right. know what I mean? You can just shrug it off. So I, I have a few problems with the direction the show is taking, particularly uh, Maeve's storyline and Shogun World. I'm very, very frustrating. It's incredibly cool looking and it's unforgivably stupid to me what's happening over there. As particularly, I am I'm a huge uh, I really don't like Maeve's newfound telekinetic abilities to control it's the so minds. It's so stupid. It's so dumb to the, me. I didn't under... Is she like... She's Legion now, basically. Well, she has mind uh, yeah, control just, powers. Well, A, it's just kind of dumb and kind of like a lazy writing thing. But the other thing is it's essentially Ex Machina. This is a power she has that has the ability to end every scene in the entire show. The whole... Her entire plotline could have zero conflict, but instead she's deciding out of a moral obligation she wants to let these Shogun people just live out their lives and just watch them for two episodes. So we're spending two episodes watching her watch a storyline of robots that we just met. That is so frustrating to me. Every time we spend time in Shogun World, I'm just like, she could do whatever she wanted right now. And she's just like watching this play out with these robots that we don't know. And I don't... I what I really think is uh my theory behind this is that they were mapping out the episodes and where I mean obviously in episode 7 everyone has to kind of meet up later in the season everyone's going to meet up and they were like okay well Maeve has to be over there doing something until episode 7 so maybe she just wants to let them live out the storyline and just watch it or cuz otherwise we've already given her the power she could end everything she could kill everyone and <laughs> It's it's such a she's not Dolores. I know, but that's the, the whole thing. I know that's like that's fine, but at the end of the day I feel stupid for watching her watch a story. Um and it would be something else if it were characters that I was even vaguely familiar Don't with. Don't you think that she was uh, I I know that the execution isn't completely sound, but the concept is I think pretty smart to have her undergo this journey to just discover herself and a little bit of like what she's meant to be and meant to do i i get it like i get the motivation her character motivation makes sense but it seems to me as though they just needed her to kind of fuck around for like two episodes in and order to show some cool Asian, Asian yeah shit. yeah and we get to see cool battles and stuff um but they forgot to make me care about shogun people um and and then seven well, is like the big cradle that's episode. the thing so episode seven still on Maeve's storyline we are we finally reached the big climactic moment we've been waiting for for two seasons and the entire time the only thing going through my head is she could end this right now there's there's she is dealing with people trying to attack her she has the ability to stop it at any moment and she just like magic even though she's the smartest being in the universe essentially she forgets about that for like a good 15 minutes and we're forced to watch this battle that she can end whenever she wants to and i was really frustrated the thing with the daughter yeah that's so dumb that was really dumb it it was very stupid yeah yeah so she gets to her daughter and it's just like 
Maeve, come on. How did you not see this coming? Yeah, A, ob- <laughs> yeah, A she didn't f- realize the fact that obviously the daughter's not just fucking around alone. Or the yeah. daughter has a new mom. B, she's being attacked and she just forgets, oh yeah, I can just make all these people do whatever I want at any given moment. So we're just forced to watch her be scared. I... I knew immediately from the end of last season that I was going to hate her this season because Maeve has such an interesting story that's especially shown in the first season. And then, like, the end of season one, you're like, this is her moment. She can leave and go outside of Westworld. That's what that's the story that I want to see. And she's like, now I'm going to go after my robot daughter, which has no consequences at all. This show chooses to focus on things that have no consequences whatsoever. I, I would even be okay with that, kind of. Like, it wouldn't bother me too much, but... I'm so frustrated by their decision to give her this power midway through the season. They yeah. gave her the end game halfway through the season, and now she's just fucking around with the end game, not even using it. And she eventually decides to use it, but it, it just it essentially renders a lot of scenes entirely tiresome to me, where I'm just thinking, is she really yeah. just going to fuck around and not do anything right now? I mean, now? I, I'll say it. I, I pretty much said this last week, and I'll say it again. Like, I'm at the point with this show that I'm not going to go too deep with it because if you start to really dismantle the story it, and it all gets, the semantics it gets really of it, frustrating. you you just you're not going to have a good time. Like think about how many times you can pinpoint a moment in which the security of this like multi-billion dollar theme park is like fucking horrendous mm. and they just let like murderous robots prounce around like it's <laughs> nothing. Like it, it's it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm watching the show just as like tv at this point it's just good tv the, yeah the and thing, nothing else i'm i mean i'm still here for bernard still love bernard mm-hmm. i'm still here for william and his daughter who have a yes. pretty interesting storyline happening there's some good character they, moments there. they had an incredible oh sorry what was that say that again I was gonna say that was a great uh, like bit in episode seven with his daughter like that was amazing their fireside uh, conversation yeah, the, the campfire yeah that was beautiful. And they, yeah, they're having a really interesting thing going on. There are parts of the show that I still am totally on board with. And there are other parts that I am getting a bit too frustrated with where I'm kind of leaning more toward Hunter's yeah. side of I. And the, there's a big reveal. Are you sure, Hunter? Are you sure you don't want to know this reveal? Sure. Just go ahead. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is back. Yeah. Oh, and, and I'm obviously I'm here for Anthony Hopkins, and he's great. Yeah, but it brings up a lot of questions, and uh, and again, is it Robot tr- Hopkins or it's Code Hopkins? And he's back in a flashback. So this show has even less repercussions than I thought that it did before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if anyone thought he was actually dead, he's not dead. Well, what happens is it's actually pretty interesting, and I'm I'm curious to see what the implications of it are. What happens is he uploads himself, like, uh, Bernard uploads or connects to the cradle, which is, like, the hub of the code of Westworld. He's in the cloud. And then Hopkins is there, Ford is there, and he infiltrates Bernard's egg brain. And now he's living yeah, in, now, inside yeah, Bernard. Yeah, so now Bernard is seeing Anthony Hopkins wherever he goes, and he's being controlled by Anthony Hopkins, which is... Uh, kind of, kind of dumb, but also pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's dumb, cool. That's, that's all of Westworld. Westworld. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just As, Adam. Adam, are you still in on the show? Um, I mean, okay. Like the logistics of the show kill me. Like, like from a technical standpoint, the logic 
the story, it kind of is really bogged down for me right now. But I thought the emotion of this season is, like, really good. Like, I know, like, everything with Fanny Newton's daughter, like, story-wise isn't great. But I feel it. Like, I, yeah, I mean, Tandy Newton's such a great actress. She can really and, carry those scenes, yeah, which are poorly written. I, I was kind of, I kind of agree with you. Like, like I was saying earlier, it's dumb, but I like the fact that she is incredibly smart, and yet she really cares about this daughter she had, regardless of whether or not it was true and real. You know, I like that. Yeah, and it, that leads into kind of to just wrap this up. I'll I'll say my final thoughts. The newest episode, episode eight. I'm very torn on because in my opinion, it is the best episode of the season, Mm. but it also includes a lot of the same issues that the show isn't really fixing or addressing in any way. So at this point, if you're really feeling the, the negative side of Westworld, this newest episode isn't really going to do much for you. But if you're, if you're already in and you are kind of like brushing off the issues and the problems and, and you're like, already entrenched in the story it works really well on an emotional level um and we follow a character that we really haven't followed at all like the main the central character of the episode hasn't really been featured heavily pretty much at all the whole show and you know the the fact that this show is asking us to care about characters that we don't really care about at all is a big problem and the fact that we're following a character in this new episode pretty much the whole time that we really haven't followed at all the whole show is also part of that problem. But I found myself really invested yeah. in the story that was being told and really just kind of along for the ride, even though those same issues okay. are still there. I think that the thing is, is um, that like <laughs> Gaia kind of summed up best because Gaia does not watch Westworld. But one day I was just like watching an episode before we were doing the podcast and I had it on. This was an early episode in the season and um, I can't remember exactly what was happening, but there was like some like rebels and they shot an old guy and like she, I just had it on the background. She was just watching. She like looked up and she was just like, oh, no, who is that guy? And I was like, I don't know. It's just a robot. And they're like, oh, well, can't they just like restart him and then it's all fine? And I was like, yes. And that's <laughs> Westworld. That's the whole thing is that you watch this and you're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. They can just like reboot his egg brain and then everything is fine again. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so Adam, what are you, do you have any, like, closing thoughts about it? Um, uh, do you know how many episodes are left this season? Because that, uh, well, tonight, kinda... yeah, yeah, tonight was eight, so there's two more. Okay, yeah, because I'm getting kind of tired of this season already, and I don't hate this show or anything, like, I don't have a big thing against it, like, it's just, it's just matter, there's too much good TV that I, like, actually enjoy right now, <laughs> and I'm kind of tired of watching things that are technically good but right but you that you don't actually enjoy <laughs> right exactly and that's kind of what i am with westworld like, it's very well done it's you know from a it has like the it's the best looking show on tv right now like yeah. not from like uh cinematography but just like on a cinematic level it looks like a movie yeah yeah i mean um, i i totally agree with you that i don't hate this show it's just like it's like you said there's too many other shows which are great and uh, why am i wasting my time on a show which the episodes are minimum an hour they're usually like an hour five to an hour ten minutes each episode. That also kills me because I, I can't do that on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's, it's just it's super too long. much. Like, way too and much. And there's a lot of fat that I think they could trim is the thing. It's yeah. not, like, all really essential But it's stuff. HBO, so they're like, we gotta do that minimum hour-long episode. Yeah, yeah. Bas- yeah. My, my issue is that this show 
hinged on solid logistics in the beginning because it doesn't have a super high emotional intelligence. And so once they lose the logistical side of things and the fascinating like plot mechanics of what's happening, I'm kind of left wondering why I'm watching it anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's there's still things that I like, but it's just the you know, the ven- the pie chart is kind of creaking over to the other side where I'm there's more and more parts of every episode where I'm just kind of checked out and yep. You know, you know, fuck you, Hunter. You were, I think you were right. I told you guys, I tried to tell you this. You were defending it to the death. And I was like, yeah, guys, I'm telling you, the show isn't that good. There's a tweet with a really, you you guys may have seen it. Adam, I bet you saw it because I know you're active on Twitter. But it's that tweet that's like a Westworld pitch in a board meeting. And it's like, yeah, so it's these robots and cowboys and they fight each other and blah, blah, blah. And the executive is like, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. And he's like, no, it won't be. <laughs> like, I just think it's, it's honestly a genuinely good point. I think the show could, it should, you're right. It, it should, should be, be fun. It, it should be better. It should be good. And like, there's so many great high concept ideas in here, but then they just like brush over the most interesting ideas and then focus on, like, they spend so much time on the emotional cruxes of the episode, and it's like, all right, if your show doesn't have good emotional weight, that's fine. Every show doesn't have to be super over dramatic and melodramatic and everything. Like, but then just lean in on your high concepts and your really cool ideas. But they're Westworld this season. I thought that season two had more potential than season one because I thought like maybe they found their identity season one. They'll really go in on the cool ideas, but instead they're just trying to teeter between being like four different TV shows and it's just I feel like yeah. it's really really but spreading that can the whole be, thing that thin. can be really cool sometimes that can make it so that each week you tune in and you don't really know what you're gonna get yeah, yeah. I mean, but we I'm, haven't really gotten that because each episode is like it, there are certain scenes where I'm like this is cool and then certain scenes where it's Teddy and Dolores again for like 12 yeah. minutes Look, and I'm like I'm done I'm this out. is this is the first and last time I will ever ever come around to your opinion. So let's just move on. I'm salty. I'm so we're gonna to talk about Coheed next week. Uh, whenever you come around, <laughs> oh, that, yeah, so. yeah, no. We're uh, we're running pretty low on time. So okay, yeah. Hunter right, has so, a ginormous list. So of shit. um, so I got my wisdom teeth taken out this week. Um, I am currently on some Percocets right now. I'm also drinking alcohol and um, snorting cocaine. So having a good time over here. But uh, I did spend snorting coherence. Yeah. <laughs> So Ooh. I spent um I spent this week in bed like really catching up on a bunch of stuff. One of the things is um that Drew and I talked about a couple weeks ago, but I am on to the last episode of Killing Eve. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you guys, you guys need to watch this show. Mm-hmm. We just talked about Westworld is not worth your time. Killing Eve is worth every second of your time. I know it Adam It is already the best show of the year. It's Whoa. I think that it's probably going to be like number 2 or number 3 for me cuz I don't think anything can really beat Atlanta for me. I think, like, as far as a coherent story, it is I the mean, best, best show. Best new show. Yeah. Yeah. Best new show without a doubt. Like, without a doubt. What I think that it's, it's really up there with Barry. I honestly, just because Barry kind of, like, it, uh, there was, a, like, episode two, episode three aren't the best. Killing Eve, that is a perfect crescendo of a show. Every single episode is getting better and better. And so there's things like. And it started I watched, off good, too. I watched the first two episodes and I was like, this is good, but everybody's, like, raving about it. So I was like, I, I got to finish this show just to see where it's going. And I am. I am so happy with where the show's going. It's amazingly nice. acted, amazing direction, like just the story and the writing. Shout out to Phoebe Waller Bridge. Like she she, yeah. she fucking it, right? nailed it. Yeah. Um where where are you at, Adam, on Killing Eve? How far are you? Oh, um I binged it like in two days. Like, nice. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you think about it? Uh it's my it's it's amazing. Uh it's I, I don't know about you, Hunter, but with me, uh 
Wait, did you say you finished episode eight or you're about to? Uh, I'm about to. I'm on. I finished episode seven. So. Okay, I won't spoil. Like this isn't a spoiler at all. But at this, it's. I'm of two minds about this. On the one hand, it was such a great season that I feel like I don't need anything else. Yeah, I heard that they got another season, too, which I thought that this was just going to be, like, a mini-series, but I guess not. But, like, on the other hand, like, I'm dying for season two. Like, I could (laughs) go either way, really. Uh, Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see where uh, season one, like, how this whole thing wraps up, because this this season is amazing. Like, it's such a great season of TV. Like, I I just, I, this, I had really high expectations for this show just because, Every TV critic that I respect was raving and raving about this TV show. So I was like, I mean, especially it's up in the first couple episodes, especially the first episode that's going to be, I mean, it's not really going to like reinvent the wheel or anything like that. It seemed just like it was like, all right, a little bit procedural, but like, okay, you know, I'm on for a fun procedural ride. Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Not every show needs to be Atlanta, but I just, I'm just kind of shocked with the way that they've kind of played with my expectations in a really cool and interesting way the show starts with a song called expectations and that's that's my really? that's my oh. take Whoa. oh wow <laughs> anyway <laughs> um, um i think so, it is kind of revolutionary though in the sense that um i'm not saying that it's the first one to ever do it but it is just like another one of those great shows that it has like really strong female characters but it does have to remind you that they're females every five seconds. No, yeah, and that's um, that's another cool thing is that, like, it's never, like, played, like, there's, I mean, the Russian assassin plays on her sexuality, but not in an overt or, like, Not a, for the audience, for Yeah, herself. not for the audience, yeah. yeah. It's for the other characters, the idiotic men who set them up themselves up in that situation. It's never in, like, an offensive way or anything like that which shout out to bbc america because bbc america right now is kind of bbc in general is kind of killing it with these shows i know doctor who is about to get their first female doctor um eve yeah okay (laughs) no whovians on the podcast all right right. so killing eve i used to watch doctor who back in the day and then i stopped there's too much um but yeah i i Really hope that you guys watch this because I want to have an in-depth discussion about Killing Eve. Whenever I'm, I'm too upset, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm definitely on board. It's yeah, it's just great. Um, so the other thing that I kind of caught up on was a bunch of uh, movies, some of which I had seen before, others that I had been mean to get around to for like All years. Right. You're gonna you're so, gonna speed run these takes okay. right now. So the first one was. <laughs> Um, and this was inspired by Ernest because another thing I've been doing is making my top list of movies of the year. And just for a little frame of reference for sometimes whenever I was like trying to look at the order and everything, I was looking at your list that you have for each year. And I saw you had Coherence at number two for 2013. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit. You hadn't what? seen? Oh, yeah. We, me and Ernie saw it together. That's a really... No, no. I have seen Coherence. Oh, you, we, you were going to rewatch it. No, but I, I rewatched it. Yeah, and that it. movie is great. I yeah. think that Coherence is honestly one of the best sci-fi movies of like the 2010s yeah. and it's made on a $50,000 budget. No budget. The the dialogue is so incredibly improvisational that it was actually largely improvised. I feel like 50,000 is a lot. I feel like they made that movie for like I mean, less than 10,000 well, just the to guy, have the people there. Yeah, they had to get the guy from a uh, Buffy Oh, Vampire Slayer. Okay. Yeah, that, he that, was that like was, forty thousand. Okay, that's, that's a really good movie. <laughs> no, I think that it's so impressive what they did on the budget. The only thing that I wish was a little bit better was whenever they actually go into the outside. I wish if they made that those scenes look like under the skin, where it was like pitch black and everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie would be like perfect, yeah, hyper stylized. But, um, but regardless of that, it's such a cool story. It takes 
an amazing twist. I highly, highly recommend this movie. Adam, have you seen Coherence? No, but I've like I've heard of it ever since 2013. It's just been one of those that I missed. It's uh, on. It's on Hulu. It it's on. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon oh, okay. Prime. That's where. That's where I okay, watched cool. it. Um, the uh, the next movie that I watched was uh, inspired because we're actually getting a remake of this movie later this year, and that is Suspiria, the classic from uh, 1977. Um, yeah, this is a movie. I don't know if you guys have either either of y'all have ever seen Suspiria. Nah. Um, so it follows a student who like is newly enrolled at this dance academy in uh, Germany, and um, or this ballet school. And whenever she gets there, she sees this uh, this student who's, like, running away. She runs in the woods. And it's followed up by, I think, like, probably the coolest murder sequence in any film. Like, ten minutes into this movie, we get... It's, it's so cool and stylized. And, like, despite the fact that it's old, so, like, the actual effects are really corny and their blood looks like it's, like, red cough syrup... It's still like it looks so cool, and the way that it's shot and everything about this movie is so cool and stylized. I'm looking at stills from it, and it looks like Twin Peaks. <laughs> that um, that's uh, death scene in the beginning. It's the most aesthetically pleasing death scene of all time. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, it's exactly like has it like it just it's so aesthetically pleasing. Um, Jessica Harper is in this, which I don't know if y'all know who Jessica Harper is, but she's awesome she's actually returning for uh the remake in like a smaller role oh. um but this uh this movie it's made by dario argento who made just a ton of great uh giallo uh italian horror uh really italian slasher movies back in like the 70s 80s or so and i highly highly recommend this movie just because even if some, like i said even if some of the effects don't hold up super well it's just a really interesting story and um it takes kind of a turn similar to uh, Hereditary in, like, a funny way, like, that you don't really kind of see coming. Okay. Um, similar. I won't spoil exactly what happens because it's not completely the same as Hereditary, but just kind of a turn that it takes in the third act. It gave me a little bit of vibe similar to and that. how did you watch this one? Um, I watched this through an app called Tubi TV. Um, Holy shit. What? I went to... Okay, so <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was watching, um, I just because I just wanted to rent this movie, um, so I went on Google Play to download it, and it said free on Tubi TV. So I was like, "That's weird as fuck." It sounds sketchy, so I downloaded it. Um, it's this app. They actually pretty cool app on Tubi. Um, this this Tubi <laughs> thing. So it just has a ton of like old movies on here. There's a lot of horror movies and stuff, but like they like they have the original Grudge on here, Night of the Living Dead, Pie is on here. Ooh. But then they also have like other stuff, just like Rain Man is on here. Um Good movie. the Talking Heads documentary, L C D documentary. So like pretty cool. They just have just a bunch of older movies How's on the here. interface. It looks like Netflix. Yeah, it looks like Netflix. Um right. I mean of course it doesn't have the same selection. It also just has a bunch of T V shows on here. Like all of Naruto is on here. Hell yeah. Yeah, like it's it's pretty cool. All right. um, you just so, told me with that one. Yeah, so <laughs> download Tubi TV. Thanks for the sponsorship. Okay. Um you the Tubi next... TV is free? Yeah, it's free. Totally free. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Um but that was how I watched Suspiria. Um the next few movies I watched was actually from um the app. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Filmstruck. You got Filmstruck? So uh, I did the free trial. Oh, so I did the okay, two weeks so free trial. Binged. But Honestly, I'm going to keep doing it after this because I want to get it so it's bad. It's such a great deal. It has pr- like the majority of the Criterion collection is on there as well as a bunch Ooh, of like Don't old... you have to pay extra for Criterion though? 
Uh, it's like a dollar extra a okay. month. But I mean, I think there's actually a student rate where you can do Criterion uh, plus the classic film struck, and it's like $7 a month or seven ninety nine a nice. month. Um, but anyways, I'm doing the free trial right now, and I saw Being There, which um, I know I know you've seen Being There, right, Adam? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, you haven't? <laughs> oh, okay. I, th- I thought that you had I, seen it. I got the crate, but I haven't... You I haven't, haven't cracked the crate I yet. haven't cracked it yet. Okay. Um, being Waiting there, for the right moment. So Being There is absolutely amazing it's it's a 10 out of 10 film like it has such a cool, peter sellers yeah man. peter sellers is in it uh the general setup of the story is um it follows this guy his name is chance his name is donald j trump yeah um <laughs> his name is chance and uh he's this gardener for this really really wealthy man and movie opens and the wealthy man who he's worked for for like 30 years dies so these people come and they're like hey man you got to get out of the house like you gotta go and so he's basically, like, kind of homeless at this point. He's just walking around, but he's, like, very simple-minded. Like, he's not altogether there and everything. Um, and he's just wandering around. And since he was in the – since he was with all these, like, this wealthy man that he lived with, uh, this guy just gave him all of his nice suits. So he's just, like, walking the streets in these nice suits, and everybody just assumes that he's just, like, a wealthy white dude. Like, yeah. you know, like, whatever. And um, he, like, bumps into this uh, one woman. They have, like, an interaction together. And he says, my name is Chance the Gardener. And she thinks that he says his name is Chancellor Gardener. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're wealthy. Things, like, move on. And she brings him back to his house. And his, uh, her husband is, like, the, like, Secretary of Treasury or something for the United States. And they just, like, sit there and they become, like, best friends. And just, like, he becomes a close advisor. It goes on that he, like, meets the president and talks with him. And he just, like, everything about this movie, it's so, like, innocent. But Peter Sellers just sells every moment that he's on the screen. It's just, huh. he's just so lovable of a person. Um, I really think this movie is, like, a 10 out of 10. Like, it's it's a masterpiece. I want to see it so bad. It's really, really is a things. masterpiece. You um, just sold me on it. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I've I've just read that it's a it's like this kind of timeless story about um, people's aloofness and just the way that you can kind of get away with things in the world. Without yeah, even no, thinking it's about it's it. kind of funny just because like you like watch it knowing that he's just this simple minded man, but then like other people around him he just like says like certain things and he's very like cheery and happy and there's like oh my god you're so wise and he's just <laughs> like what um the one of the best scenes in the movie is uh so he was working in this house and there was another there was a, a black woman maid um and there's one scene where he like uh the president quotes uh chance on tv like says something about him. she was just like believe me i know this man like it like he's not he just he's very like dim-witted and all these things and he's like really goes to show you all you have to do is be a white man in america and you can make it it's yes. like yeah that's kind of true though um so, so it's like a satire yes yeah it is but it's, it's very like a black comedy kind of it's more of a black comedy than is a satire like there are satirical elements to it but it's like i said it's very very light-hearted it never is trying to take itself seriously right. at all um this next movie, okay, so going away from Philpstruck a little bit, um, I did actually pay to rent this movie. Um, I rented Early Man, the uh, latest uh, Nick, I yeah. almost said Nick Cave, Nick Park movie. The um, guy who makes Wallace and Gromit. Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. Um, Classics. So this movie, it's not, I will say, it's not as good as Wallace and Gromit or Chicken Run, but it is like, it's a really like fun, lighthearted movie. It's about like, 
it's about Neanderthals and everything else, and basically how they created the sport of soccer or football, like, back, like, prehistoric man, just, like, kicking a meteor around, and then it became, like, soccer. Um, I, I think I saw something about how man actually also stands for Manchester, because it's, like, a soccer yes, movie. Yes, okay, yeah. okay, well, okay, so that's, there's actually a couple really good puns that are in this movie, yeah, and yeah. that's, like, one of the things. Um, it's are they early as good man, as the like, gnome? early man, you. Are, are they as good <laughs> as the gnome puns in Sherlock Gnomes? No, because nothing will ever beat Sherlock Gnomes. Um, no, but <laughs> I actually do think early man, I thought it was, it was just a really good lighthearted movie it was like a solid seven um i would recommend it to people it's like a good movie for adults kids is like, it like said, mad short yeah it's an hour well it's an hour and 40 minutes, is it better so. than solo yes <laughs> yes i would rather watch early man again than solo um it's pg so you don't have to worry about bringing your 12 year old child sneaking them into the theater to see it um yeah no like i said early man it's good uh when, when completely it comes harmless. back to theaters yeah for the the Criterion restoration, um, <laughs> all right, I got to plow through this list. Um, so uh, next up, I know that you're gonna want to talk about this one, Adam. Uh, I saw Francis Ha, which I yeah. I have been wanting to see this movie for years because I'm a big Noah Baumbach fan, big Greta Gerwig fan, and I know that this is you've said before this is your favorite movie of all time. Whoa. So I will let yes. you kind of talk about this a little bit about your opinion on this. I mean, I'm not gonna like you know, full-on, you know, dual analyzation about it, but it is my... Because I love the French New Wave, kind of, um, mm-hmm. those movies, and I've all... But I've always, like, kind of felt cold towards them because they're, like, a completely different time. Um, but this takes, like, the best technical and aesthetic elements of those movies, but then, like, kind of makes it for millennials so they can relate to it. Um, and that's what I love about it. Like, it's such a relatable movie, but it's also a love letter to French New Wave, mm-hmm. and it's... I just, I love every aspect of this movie. Like, the humor, the dialogue. There's a just a really inherent sadness in the movie that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a lot of Noam Baumbach movies. Like, everything he does has a little bit of a sadness to it, like, while we're young. But this one, it's just a perfect movie to me. Like, I, and I can't say that I've ever loved a movie as much as I love this one. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about kicking and screaming, because I, I got the criterion for that uh, a couple months ago, and that movie actually, like, it's really funny, it's a comedy, but that movie is, like, genuinely pretty sad. It's just about these dudes, like, kind of losing themselves. Um, I think it's kind of funny comparing kicking and screaming to uh, uh, Francis Ha. Francis Ha is definitely a much better movie than this, but they both kind of take place as, like, they're coming-of-age stories about a demographic that doesn't usually get coming-of-age stories. Like, Francis Ha, it's a coming-of-age story for a 28-year-old woman in New- living in New York. A 28-year-old single woman. And, like, it's just really cool to see it. The dialogue and the humor, it's so real. Like, it has some of the best, and Noah Baumbach has done this before, where it just, like, it feels like this is a real conversation. It doesn't feel like they're reading lines off of a script. Like, these are real conversations that, he, but it's not improvised. He or her have had the conversations with each other before. No, but it almost feels like they were like talking with their friends and they had a tape recorder with them and then went and wrote down what they were talking Whoa. about together. Like, it's just, it's so, so realistic. I really, really love this movie. I thought that it was, it was really beautiful. The direction, the acting in it, everything about this movie yeah. was beautiful. That, that movie's been on my list for a minute. I've I've always been wanting to get to it, so hopefully yeah. I will soon. Um, and then finally, uh, another film struck uh, movie I saw was The Pianist. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever. I, seen I that, saw this movie but... when I was very very young, 
like when I was too young Ooh, to really that seems understand. too heavy to watch a movie. I this. mean, I've been, I've been in the movies since I was a kid, so I, yeah. I I've you know I was exposed to this kind of stuff as a kid, but I was too young to comprehend like the gravity of yeah. the story and of the filmmaking. Mm. So I just I just remember this being like a very cold, sad movie. Never forget the peanut scene. Like the oh, s- when they're cutting the fucking peanut to try to share it between yeah, them. So, Just yeah, one it's, tiny yeah, it's, little peanut. Well, it's it's like it's a caramel. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, okay, it's a caramel. Okay, okay. But they're cutting it. It's like they're cutting it into like six pieces. This tiny little square. Yeah. it's so sad. And I, like, I don't know why I remembered it. I watched peanut. I watched this movie because I started watching this and I was like, I've been watching too many lighthearted movies. I'm sad. I want to watch a sad movie. And I <laughs> still wasn't really ready for this movie. Um, well, this your, movie your, is your teeth were aching. Right? Yeah, so, I had some achy teeth, which yeah. is kind of the same thing as going through the Holocaust. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, can we edit that out? All right, let's edit that out. Um. <laughs> So <laughs> I like it. No, um it stays. the thing about this movie is that it's shot with like it's shot so dispassionately that there are just people who are like dead in the street and people are just like walking right over their body. There's one part where you see the Germans coming into the ghetto and like raiding somebody's house and they just go up to this one person's apartment, they tell everybody to stand up. There's a man in a wheelchair, they pick the man up in the wheelchair, they're on like the third floor, and they just throw him out the window. Oh fuck. And just kill him like that. And then it just moves on to the next scene. Like, you can tell that this movie was shot by a Jewish man in Roman Polanski. That, like, he made this movie, like... Well, he actually so, went through the Holocaust, Yeah, right? he made this movie so, so viscerally. I believe he was a young child yeah, whenever all that yeah, happened. But um, it's just so... It's so depressing and dire, but like all great Holocaust movies, there's this shining glimmer of hope that rings throughout it, and that is all due to Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody, I wish that he would not have fallen off the cliff like he did, just because he is spectacular in this movie. Like, did he win an Oscar? He won for an this? Oscar. Yeah, he won okay. the Oscar for this, and like, it's so well deserved. Like, he transforms in this movie. He did the Ryan Gosling before Ryan Gosling, where he learned how to play uh, piano. For this Whoa. role, he lost, I think, like 30 or 40 pounds for the role. Um, he is so, so good. And um, there's this one part later in the movie, because watching this movie, I was just like, this is great. But like, this is so sad and everything else. And like, I thought that it was great. But there's something that happens in the third act where, um, not to spoil it too much, but where like a German soldier shows compassion for him and just their whole interaction together I really think just like elevated the movie to another level because that was like I was on the verge of tears like watching this. Damn. It was such a beautiful scene, like the way that it's shot, and it goes on for like a long time. Just him playing the piano and the way that he plays the piano, the music that he's playing, it's so heartfelt. Like it just it like it it brings like a lump in your throat whenever you hear it. Um, I don't know if uh, Adam, have you ever seen The Pianist? No, it's like one of the only Polanski's that I haven't seen, which is weird because it's considered like one of his best. Yeah, I um, I wouldn't say it's my it. favorite. Um, I it's uh, you could argue that it is his best. It's definitely like his passion project. It's the most visceral movie that he's ever made. But yeah, um, it is. I definitely recommend it. But you have to be in a certain type of mood for this movie. Like, it's not a movie you can just casually on a Friday night put on with the boys. Like, it's not. It's not one of those movies. You, but... you gotta be on opiates. <laughs> You know, it's, it's one of those movies. All right, well, All right, we're losing a big chunk of the audience. We gotta, so we should we should take a break. We got to take a break, and when we get back, we're gonna we're gonna get to it. We're gonna talk Hera 
D. Terry. We'll be right back. BRB. You ain't got nothing better to do with yourself. I'm improving myself. Back on that rule of myself, I got new news to tell. Act like you knew you'd fail. Only you know how I feel. And only if you knew how I felt. Stick the little boot off the nail. Do it, mixed messages, do it the mail. Only a few in the fail. Little bit off for the real. Breaking news, guys. Straight out of E3. Bethesda announced Elder Scrolls 6. Did they? Actually? Yeah. So it probably won't come out for another, like, five years. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it's not coming out next year, even. It would come out 2020. Also, they announced um, something else. Well, I know we have Fallout 76. That No, but yeah. uh, they have something called Starfield. Okay, so Starfield. I actually know about Starfield because Starfield's going to be their game that comes out next year. They were talking about, um, I don't remember, it was in the same thread from Fallout 76. The same person was saying, Fallout 76 is coming out this year, Starfield is coming out next year, and then Elder Scrolls 6 is 2020. So, okay. As long as we're just going over news that we missed initially... We didn't talk about how there's a show that's going to premiere on CBS called God Friended Me. What? And it's a <laughs> Oh no. It's about an atheist radio host who then God friends him on Facebook and he becomes Christian. Is this this is I'm an all going access, to kill myself. This is an all access exclusive. It's on CBS. No, it's okay. just on now cuz they don't have space for Star Trek, but they have space for God Friended Me. I am I I'm losing my shit. Like I want to die. It's the Why? funniest. Just had a show about that recently. It was um, living biblically. I think it was called. Oh yeah, um, it was a guy trying to live actually by the Bible. But or wasn't that like? Wasn't that on like Lifetime or some shit like that? Was that on a major network like CBS? Yeah, it was on CBS. It was oh. on. Oh my god. I mean, CBS's audience is old, which means they're Christian. So one of the funniest we're, we're back, things. By the way, one of the funniest things from watching the finals is watching how many shitty ass ABC shows are on. Because like. I was talking about it with uh, with somebody, and I was just like, you know, like it's ballsy for ABC to cancel Roseanne because Roseanne, like, of course, like she's a horrible person, but like the fact that that was such a big money maker and it was like at least a half decent show. But then, like, you watch the, all the commercials for shows that come on for for ABC. Like, there's a, a show that's coming out uh, starring Nathan Fillion called The Rookie, yeah, which looks like cop show. It looks like literally the most copy and paste cop show for like anything like there's something there's nothing original about it. and then all of like the multicam sitcoms and you're like this is still a thing oh People yeah still make these it's yeah, still dude. going on um so god friended me catch it uh let's see cbs sundays oh that's already a bad time slot cbs Uh-oh. sundays at eight seven central okay Dang. all that's right the, that's the trash slot use, use hashtag god friended me on twitter <laughs> I genuinely might watch that just because of the concept alone. I, <laughs> it sounds way, like, way too wacky. Like, I have no idea. I can't exactly. wait for him to just be like, new friend request. What's this? God? God? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Is that you? And then God's just messaging him, like, spam links for porn websites or something. <laughs> um, okay. All right. <laughs> let's, let's get to our review 
Let's get to our review of Hereditary. So yeah. we got some fan mail oh. from our boy Brett Nemiroff. Okay. Um, it's a pretty lengthy um, email that he sent where he just kind of gives us our thoughts on the film. So I, I, I'm not going to read all of it. I might oh, go wow. back to it. Yeah, that's a good that's a good like incentive for people. So if you read, if you send us in your email, we will read part of it. Well, I mean. <laughs> it, if you send us if you send us an email, we appreciate the feedback, but we don't you know we're not going to devote like to reading verbatim the entire. Oh, thing. oh, he he sent you twelve pages worth. Now I understand. Yeah, yeah so okay. you can email us at webottomike@gmail.com to let us know your thoughts. So I'm going to go back to this um, email later on in the spoiler section, but I want to start out with the first paragraph because he um, very nicely did a pre-spoiler and a spoiler section. So Brett Nemiroff writes in, subject line, Harry Terry. Um, Good. Should have been Harry D. Terry. Come on, where's that middle initial, Brett? Um, For anyone unsure about seeing this movie, or those of you who, like me, don't like jump scares, this is totally void of that. Hereditary is everything that a scary movie should should be. This is a slow-burning candle that smothers you with so much character development mm. wax that you possibly couldn't look away. Oh man, save it, for wax. save it for Letterbox. It is by descriptive <laughs> imagery. I love it. I it love it, by, Brett. It is by all means a thriller, yet there are enough strong horror elements to make you shudder within each act. If Hunter doesn't like this movie either, <laughs> there's no he's no better than a giant mole on my upper lip. Okay, well, just wait cuz I think this movie is trash. So no, there's no, no, no. I just that that's good shit, Brett. Yeah, that was, thanks, that was good. thanks for writing in, Brett. Um, yeah. So that's uh, webottomike@gmail.com if you want to send us your thoughts. But before we dive in, this is A24's biggest opening ever. This yep. opened bigger than Ladybird. Lady yeah. There was hype for this movie. There was an um, amount of hype. It also has a D minus cinema score, which cinema <laughs> score doesn't really mean anything. What is cinema? What is cinema? Sc- okay, so they take. A, a general audience goers, they walk out of the movie. Oh, I don't give a shit. I already them, don't give a shit. Yeah, that's why. I yeah. knew that this wasn't going to do well with general audience so goers. As we kind of as we kind of dive in, I'm going to kind of preface my, my thoughts with uh, my experience of seeing the film. So I usually try to go to like one of the better movie theaters in town, like um, the the ones I frequent, but. I made the mistake of not going to one of those theaters to see this film. Did you and go I, to um, F blank S? I went. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it. At, I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch a movie theater in case they it's, give us things. It's but. not. It's not their fault. It's the <laughs> it's, fault of the people attending the yeah. film. So it was a pretty packed screening. You know, uh, it was a Friday night, and um, people were very disrespectful of this movie. You know, they were talking. They were texting. Uh, at times laughing at the movie which you know there are some moments of comedic timing in this movie but it was just a shame to not be able to experience this movie without people like taking me out of it yeah. with their disrespect that's, i mean that's just something that happens sometimes yeah, at the movies so it particularly happens at horror movies because when people are made uncomfortable there's an urge to talk there's an urge to like expel your emotions somehow mm-hmm. and this movie makes you very very <laughs> uncomfortable throughout yeah. pretty much its entire run yeah. time so i'm not yeah i'm not shocked by that i was at an empty almost completely and it, it, what this movie does and 
I mean, it's reflected in what, how these people behaved is like, it never lets you release any of the tension. Like what happens in, in, in most, um, usual genre horror type movies is you get a big jump scare that lets you release that tension. You jump and then you laugh it off and then it starts to build up again. So you have a constant release of building tension throughout the entire runtime. That never really happens in Hereditary. There are moments where you kind of like dip a little bit, but pretty much the the last like hour of this movie is like unrelentless so building tension. And, you know, people are going to react to it how they're going to react to it. At least they had a reaction. So I don't really mind the the laughing as much as I mind the talking. It's like, I don't need to hear your fucking commentary to the movie like shut up but at least you know if they're laughing they're having some sort of reaction and i think that that is the thing that i'm taking the one of the things that i'm taking the most away from this film is that it has left me with a reaction like in when we when we talk about what is the best movie what's what are the, the the best movies of the year what what are we kind of thinking about you know now that we're hitting that halfway mark of 2018 as the best of the year i really want to put this movie at the top be not because of the quality because i could debate other movies being better in terms of quality but this movie just resonated with me and gave me a stronger reaction than any other film i've seen this year i walked out of this theater and i was i was I was scared. I'm a grown man and I had to keep the lights on. I was like really shaken by this movie. Okay. Yeah. So um Adam uh took me with him and we saw a press screening for this movie last week. So we saw this last Thursday on May thirty first. So we saw it a little bit early. And I was doing everything in my power just not even to tell you my impression of the movie, just because I I don't want to – I always hate when somebody's just like, this is the greatest movie of all time, and I see it, my expectations are so high for it, and, like, it's inevitable. I'm going to get let down. Going into this movie, I had extremely high expectations for it. Um, we saw this at the press screen, and there was, like, what, Adam, like, 12 people there? Like, it was it was yeah, an empty that, screener. It was – which, I mean, you've said that happens at A24 screeners, that people just don't really go, which is really sad because A24 well, is pumping be some of the best movies. That's about how many press there are in so well, like, I think yeah. everyone did turn out for this one. <laughs> yeah, but still, that it's so sad that like that is that's it though for like a movie yeah. that hereditary. It's like you said. Like I heard some people, some person say that um, this was uh, like one of the that was one of the best movies that they'd ever seen, but they never want to watch it again. And I understand that feeling. Um, after walking out of this movie, this isn't a movie that like. Walking out, this wasn't a movie that I was like, I'm going to have nightmares tonight, but this is a movie that I've thought about constantly. And, like, it's think I just think about it, like, going through my life and, like, little things that I'm doing. I'll be at work or just, like, whether I'm at home, whatever I'm doing, and I'm thinking about this movie. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I think that this movie, I'm not going to lie, I saw it a second time because the thing with horror movies, um, especially is a lot of times you watch them and you're so wrapped up in the scares and where the plot's going that they kind of diminish in quality a good bit after seeing it a second time. I saw this movie a second time just to make sure, and if anything, it might have gotten a little bit better after seeing it a second time just because you know where the story's going. It's kind of like how Get Out was last year, where when you know where it's going, you can kind of 
put the pieces together and you can tell how well thought out of a movie this is. I, I think that this movie is kind of teetering on a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, I really think this is, by a good margin, the best movie of the year so far. Okay. I don't want to... because when I saw it, um, I didn't know what you thought of it, Hunter. Like, because you were not very reactionary for, reactionary for the first hour of it. And <laughs> I was, like, kind of wondering, like, is he liking it? I can't tell. Oh, I loved it, but I was just swallowing it in. To get his mouth covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I was just... Because... I was like, there is like some setup in the movie, and like I was, I was into that because especially it pays off in a really cool way. It subverts your expectations in a way that I wasn't expecting, but it, I was just kind of waiting to see where it was going to hit that point. And we hit that point like thirty minutes in, and from that point on, I was just yeah. so. If, into if we're this thinking movie. about the same moment, that is the moment. No, we are. We are. It, that <laughs> is the moment where, um, the. All the people that were fucking talking shut the yeah. fuck up. Good, slack. yeah. The, the theater <laughs> went silent. This is a yeah. That was a slack jaw moment. Yeah, I, I yeah. I'm gonna. I mean, this I don't want to go into plot yet. No, this, no, is, no, this is boring. But I'm gonna echo your sentiments, and I'm assuming Adam's gonna say relatively similar things. <laughs> this is just. This is this does almost everything completely right involving horror. Um, it has some of the most visceral visuals i've ever seen and yet they're sparse they're not they don't populate the entire movie and that makes them more effective and then it also has a a crescendo that i can't even really compare to anything i've seen before in terms of i i felt my skin crawl in a way i haven't felt this way watching movies since i was probably a little kid when every any stupid horror movie would make you feel this way of just a way of like i gotta get out of this room right now i gotta i have to leave like (laughs) i it turns into like you know just like startled laughter or whatever but it was it was really a feeling that I, i it felt special this movie felt pretty special to me like it felt like I don't think I mean it's obviously not going to have a super wide appeal whatever cinema score it has yeah, it, it reflects that I don't I don't care about that I think that this was an incredibly well executed movie it it was well thought out it contained honestly written characters and like genuine moments of human behavior that I recognized and that I could you know see playing out in real life and I appreciated that more than almost anything else in the movie considering how how dishonest most horror movies are you know to be honest those moments of just the family talking yeah are some of the best scenes in the movie exactly yeah i think there's a dinner table scene that we get later on the movie which is so good that is it because tony collette i think she should at least be nominated for this role she won't be but like it's probably that's that's the oscar scene right there that's the scene that they should i said that on my review like that i wrote really um i wrote Mm -hmm. that uh you could either play that scene at the Oscars for either Alex Wolf or Tony Collette. Yeah, yeah, because both of them are going back and oh my forth God, so they were well. amazing in that scene. Yeah, so, so give us your thoughts yeah, on yeah. Um, it. I don't think it's the best horror movie I've ever seen, but like I told Hunter after we saw it, I think it's the best horror movie that I've ever lived through. Like, lived during. Time of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it is... I've never seen one in theaters that actually scared me. Like, because I, I just watched too many when I was a kid, which is kind of maybe a morbid thing to say, but I watched way too many horror movies when I was younger. Oh yeah, I mean, so, I was the same way. I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah, so jump scares don't get to me, but stuff like this, and even to an extent, nothing, I've never seen anything like this before. Like a movie that is so emotionally raw, yet so gnarly and visceral on every single level. 
um, like it just hits you in the most deep, profound way. But like on a level of what you are used to seeing, like visually, it just hits you in another unexpected way. So it's it's just like a like a, it's a sucker punch of emotions and mm. thrills and tension. And from start to finish, like I, I was really trying to think if I had an issue with this movie, and I don't think that I do. Like I think it's pretty perfect from beginning to end. That's okay. So that's one of the things I was going to say is because going into it, I have heard I of course now like that everybody's reviews are up and everything I was kind of reading around and like people do have some qualms with this movie and like there are a couple things if I'm picking nits but that's the thing is it's nitpicking it's nothing that's ever a serious problem or ever takes me out of the film in any way um I did want to bring up actually something that Brett said because I actually do take issue to one of the things that Brett said is he said that this is a thriller movie. Was it when no. it, he compared you to a mole on his lip? Uh, no, because I am very mole-like. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> okay. so um, it's in that he called this movie a thriller and that's actually a thing that people have been doing lately that anytime that they say a horror movie, that horror movie is really good, it just gets called a thriller because horror movie kind of diminishes the quality. I don't think this is straight up a true horror movie. Um, like movie like It Comes at Night, that's a thriller. Even like uh, Get Out, that's like kind of a social well, thriller with horror elements yeah, to it. Like, genre naming is ultimately kind of like a feudal thing. It's not entirely. It's not super important, but like you could use the thriller tag. Yeah, for I mean, but this no, movie. But this movie's a drama. It's but a family. It's a character. Drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, but I mean, you could use, I mean, you could use the word thriller for a movie like The Fugitive, which has zero elements of horror. Yeah, but so people, it's just kind of like a weird label. That I feel gets, like people do like they. Whenever you say horror, it kind of diminishes the quality. Like, people are saying, like, A Quiet Place, it's a thriller. Just to, like, raise the level of, like, quality to it. And I don't think that's necessarily a fair thing to do. One tag tag that gets thrown around for good horror movies is psychological horror. Yeah, that's that's another Because that basically means it's a horror, but it's not stupid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I honestly... So I was thinking about this a lot because um, I, like I said many times on here before i'm a huge huge horror buff i watched so many horror movies growing up all the time um i like really thought that the witch might have been the best horror movie of the 21st century just because of what it is for like this gothic atmospheric horror but the thing is that it's great and it's like has an unbelievable atmosphere but and I think that that movie is absolutely amazing, but I think that Hereditary is a better movie than The Witch. The Vava Itch, as I itch. call it. I'll probably agree with that. I I do have some issues with Hereditary, and I want to bring them up in yeah. spoilers. Um, but I think if you like movies, you should go see this movie, unless you like consider yourself this totally like unable to withstand horror. Um, if you call yourself a horror fan and you're into cheap jumps, jump scares, then you're not really a horror fan. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what you're a fan of, but if if you really are a fan of horror, if, go if see this If that's your movie. thing, there's a new Purge movie coming out next month. <sighs> On, so. To be honest, like just talking about it right now, I'm getting visuals in my head, and I'm <laughs> like, my skin is kind of crawling. That's how I know this movie was really, really good. Yeah, it sticks and, with you, man. And in, in addition, we haven't even mentioned, I don't think, how incredibly well shot this movie was. It's beautiful. For Ari Aster, this is his first film, his first yeah. feature length film. It's beautiful. The lighting, I think, was perfectly done, like pitch perfect. The set design, I thought 
the house that most of the movie takes place mm-hmm. in is a really fascinating location. And the fact that uh, Tony Collette is building, she builds miniatures, and that's kind of the background that you're setting this in. Yeah, that's in. like some Charlie Kaufman it's stuff. It's so <laughs> you know? fucking cool. Like, like a weird artist. There's yeah. there's one, the, the opening shot of the movie, the way that it pans down into this miniature, and suddenly it becomes like the people actually like walking around the house and everything else, is so fucking cool and well-realized. Like, it's, it's a beautiful wild, shot. It's wild, wild. Yeah. Um, uh, but... I do want to get spoilers like soon, um, but to your point about the cinematography, I think that is the best part of the whole movie. I I love the acting. The acting is amazing and everyone is great, Mm -hmm. but this movie works because of the way it's shot and lit. And it's because you were talking about how the pianist is dispassionate. Mm. This movie, the dramatic notes in this movie are shot so passionately. They're shot like you would see a a good family drama be shot. So you're emotionally enveloped in it visually as well. And um, and this movie, what, what hereditary does best is it, it, uh, it assaults like the way your eyes adjust to darkness. Oh, dude! Yes, oh. yeah. The and way like, that and the like way it plays how you light. perceive how you perceive shadows and light, and like how when you're looking at something and you're trying to figure out if you're looking at a shadow or a beam of light, and the way your eye tries to adjust to that. That movie, this movie uses that to scare the fucking shit out of you, and it's amazing. Yes, um, it, and it just... okay, so I wanted to bring it up because it's come up a multiple, uh, a couple times while we've been talking. Um, I was listening actually to an interview, um, on the Big Picture podcast that Sean Fancy did with uh, Ari Aster, and uh, I, yeah, I listened, to and too. he was talking really about good. how. Whenever Ari first started making this movie, he didn't pitch it as a horror movie, like. It was kind of in his back of his head to have horror elements, but he wanted to make this a family drama with horror movie elements. And that's that pays through. Like you can tell that in the dialogue, in the way these characters interact with each other, that it's written to be like a drama. Their relationship is very strong and very believable. And it's performed that way too. Uh, Adam, you have any final thoughts before we go into spoilers? Um, No, to be honest, because I think, that's kind of what we have to talk about to like get into the best. Yeah, we have to get into the <laughs> okay. the plot of this movie. So, uh, go scores, see this movie. scores. Ah, it's um, fuck. I don't know. It's like a really strong eight for me. It's yeah. a nine for me. I would give it. I would give yeah, it a like nine. An eight. Nine. I have. I mean, I have nits to pick. I essentially I always do. Um, and yet the the difference with this movie is, and with a truly great movie in my opinion, is the nits came after the movie thinking about it during the movie i had zero yeah that's that's how you know it's really good like i i can talk about it afterward however much i want during the movie it had the exact effect that i think that the director wanted it to have Um, and that's why i think it's great i give this movie a 9 to a 9.5 um i really think that over time this could become a 10 out of 10 for me like i really think there is that potential that like i never just give a movie a 10 out of 10 immediately because i feel like to get a 10, in my mind, you have to stand the test of time. Yeah. Like, you kind of have to be a movie you can see over and over again, and it gets better with viewings and everything else. You can't but forget about it. It's kind of hard. Like, this, I was thinking about this compared to Get Out, and, like, they're on the same level. If not, like, Hereditary does a lot of things better than Get Out does. Get Out also does some things better than Hereditary does, but it's kind of, like, they're kind of neck and neck for me. I mean, Get Out was one of my favorite movies of last year, mm-hmm. so... All right, Adam, what'd you score? Do you have a score for it? I think I'm going to stick with a 9.5 for okay. now, but I need to see it again in theaters because uh, I might go up to it then. Oh, yeah, just, I, I really recommend seeing it twice because yeah. it does not 
diminish any of the scares yeah, or tension. I, I really want to see it a second time because uh, talking about it with uh, – I saw it with my girlfriend, Lee, and talking about it with her, she noticed things that I didn't notice. Yeah. There's, there's certain things in the movie that are just kind of like – they're not in your face – they're kind of like in the wide shots, yeah, and that's one of the, the things in the edges of the frame, and they're even more terrifying because they're not so obvious. Oh, yeah, that was and one of the things I was saying them. that it gets better in multiple viewings because you pick up on certain yeah. things like that. You can tell how well thought out this movie is. That for some reason, those shots, the ones where you don't even think there's anything wrong with it, and then right before it cuts away, you notice something that has an, an effect. I'm getting. I'm getting, I'm scared. I'm spooked right now, and I don't like it. Uh, We're all gonna sleep in the same bed tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get into spoilers for Hereditary starting right now. Okay. Boop. Ah. Um, so, it it does start playing like a pretty much a traditional family drama. I I arrived at my theater immediately as the movie started, and I w- I had you know I had to settle in and everything, but it doesn't you know it doesn't start. E- starts pretty uh did you see the the text on screen yeah, yeah okay yeah. um but it like we said the i think we were obviously on the same page with the moment 30 minutes in that you're like oh <laughs> yeah well yeah. it's set up with yeah. the with the the pole you see the emblem on mm-hmm. the pole and you're like oh so i'm supposed to pay attention to this pole mm-hmm. and then the everything about the party leading up to the yeah. big that that long pan on them chopping nuts you're like this is gonna go bad because it's set up earlier with like one line in the film, and you're like, "Yeah, does that have nuts in it? We didn't bring the epipen with us." Like yeah. just that one little throwaway line. That's... Yeah, that and essentially, like for I was almost frustrated uh, because of the old trope of like bring your sister to the party, like yeah. you got, and then it's just like that doesn't happen, and uh, that was immediately lost. That <laughs> my any yeah. frustration I had was gone. A in the way the party scene played out, I really enjoyed. I love the the kid who played Peter, and I love. More than anything, I love how he was written. He is so yeah. he's so real. Shout out to Alex Wolf, who's known naked for being brothers. yeah the Naked Brothers band. So I am, I am curious. <laughs> wait, about wait, 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 wait. That was Alex. Yeah, yeah. that was Alex Wolf. <laughs> yep, <laughs> he's fucking incredible. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill myself. That is so funny. My... Yeah. What were you saying? <laughs> I was gonna say my friend. Um, and this is I, I don't can talk about it now because it's spoilers and, it, and just disclaimer, it's the worst thing ever. But he said he's going to edit the crazy car song onto that scene. <laughs> oh, my up. God. No. Oh, no. That's good. <laughs> that's that's good content, and I want to see really it. It's really funny. That's like some stuff that will go semi-viral on Twitter. Holy shit. Um, wow. I Honestly, I should have looked it up, but that it makes sense because he does look like Nat, but he used to have the frizzy hair. I really didn't recognize him. That I thought he did great, and it, like I said, I thought the, the writing of that character was very sympathetic with high school, and it wasn't cartoonish. It was just a guy who likes a girl and smokes weed and is confused. Yeah, it's yeah. like very high school, And but okay, so – we're here at the moment, and they're driving home, and you see it happen, and the way that it is shot, there's not a big, big, huge reaction from him, but sticks her out the window, head off, and, like, he just stops his car, and, like, you kind of, like, mutters, like, are, are you okay? Yeah. Just to, does, like, But silence. he doesn't even look back. He doesn't even look back. He starts to look back, and he gets, yeah. like, too scared, because you see the hood just, like, sitting there. But the and, close-up of his eyes welling up. Yeah. And, and you just stay there. Because, he just slowly drives home. Yeah. Just like, because he can't even go in and tell his parents about it, what that, happened. That whole sequence plays out so well because 
everything from them leaving the house, driving to the party, then at the party, then her eating the cake. It's all very quick. Yeah. You don't really spend too much time at the party. So it's all like very it feels a little rushed up until the moment where her oh. head just fucking yeah. comes off and then the movie just stops. So I didn't think that we were going to see that head. I thought it was just going to be like a cutaway moment. Yeah. But when you see it the I next day, in broad I think we saw it. It's so getting devoured horrifying. by ants. Yes, it looks so like a practical effect too. I'm yeah, it looked sure like there a real some, head. There's but... some CGI, I'm sure. What are you saying, Adam? In the cool and the cool thing is, like, well, I don't know about cool, but, like, the um, <laughs> thing is, like, when, as soon as, like, she hits the pole, you go exactly to his face, and then you do not leave his face again until it cuts back. Yeah, it, it right. just, it stays on him, it just stays him laying in bed, like, until the sun rises, just there, like, completely yeah, traumatized. Absolutely, yeah. The, the, the hearing the blood-curdling scream yeah, of Tony Collette. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's just laying there, eyes open, he lets his mom go out to the car and find her decapitated daughter's Jeez. body. It is absolutely brutal. Uh, since this and was her the, crying, like, oh yeah, it, holding onto oh, the rug, it is blood curling. Like people when they cry in movies, yeah, they don't cry like how you would really cry. That was that's some real shit. She mm. was crying like her daughter like, was decapitated. Yeah, like I'm worried about Tony <laughs> Collette. One thing that was really really cool about this movie. Again, I'm saying cool. It's really not that cool, but. <laughs> Seeing the family's Not reactions cool, in the very beginning of the movie when the grandmother died, where everybody's just very like flat about it. They're like, oh, you know, she was old, she had cancer, whatever. Versus when uh, Mindy Sharpling dies, it's like Charlie. Yeah, who plays Charlie? Um, this is actually Mi- the first Millie Shapiro. Millie that's, Shapiro. That's Millie Shapiro. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Mindy which is, Sharpling, which is the stage name of I'm gonna guess Ted Cruz's daughter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. She, she, I honestly, she was incredible. Genuinely I thought that this movie was great. going, I thought that it was going to be her being the star, to be honest. The way that yeah. it's set up in the very beginning of the movie, she's going to have a huge role. Which, going back to her a little bit, in that first scene in the funeral home where she looks over, she looks at her dead grandma and then looks over and you see the guy who you later see later on in the movie to be like a demon entity or something. Just mm-hmm. the guy is like staying there in like a suit with like super wide eyes and like the spiky blonde hair. Uh-huh. Somebody locked that man up in prison. He needs to go to jail <laughs> with the guy from the Florida Project because that dude is way too fucking creepy <laughs> yeah. to actually be like yeah. not a and weirdo. I loved, I loved how they didn't feel the need to have him in the middle of the movie. You only have him at the beginning and then when you see him again at the end, you it's such an effective scare because you're not really sure what you're looking at and you see that fucking You see that face. face. It's just such like a it's a face that gets like burned into your head yeah. too like Ugh. Ugh. Okay. Ugh. So um next uh one thing that so watching it uh one thing that I did have a little bit of a qualm with which I quickly kind of reverted on it was the scenes uh, with the uh, therapy group, the Lost Ones group, it kind of seemed a little bit like exposition dumping to me at first. But she kills it. But she kills it. And also, she talked about the way, um, I don't know if you guys had the same reaction, but for me, I was really expecting, the movie's called Hereditary, so I'm like, all right, Something is going to run in the family. She starts talking about this history of mental illness yeah, in her family. Schizophrenia. So, schizophrenia, yeah. DID, yeah. all this kind of stuff. So I really thought that, like, okay, so it's establishing, hey, yeah, I have a lot of mental illness in my family. And then when shit kind of starts hitting the fan and everything, I was like, all right, this is going to tie back into, you know, like, them, like, going insane, having mental illness and stuff. But instead it was 
demons follow your family, which is like kind of a known thing that like it's a thing, especially in like Spanish cultures and stuff like that. They always emphasize like how demons like you don't want to ever like get a demon attached to you because they can follow you through generations, all this kind of stuff. So um, I just I thought that that was so cool and so subverting of my expectations. Well, what did you think of seeing it a second time of the fact that Peter is the key to the whole story? Because that's not set up. That's kind of a surprise at the end of the movie where it all ties into him. So the signs are definitely there, especially because they kind of talk about how they need a vulnerable spirit and everything else. They they identified they need the male body because that's the like ideal form and everything else according to this spiritual demonology um demonology is the correct term for it uh by the way and then but they always talk about they need a vulnerable spirit and since he's the one who goes through this horrible traumatic thing he is the most vulnerable of them not only that but it's also kind of set up earlier in the movie that they say something about how um the grandmother always hated charlie because she wanted her to be a boy and she never the oldest son she never really like got her claws into the oldest son she never really established a relationship with peter she did with charlie which she had more of a relationship with charlie but she always kind of resented her for not being a man and that was why they actually named her charlie they gave her a man's name and then she just came out as a girl yeah one thing that i i'm kind of uh scratching my head over is like the the grandma I I can't really I mean you've seen it twice so you could probably answer this but I I'm, I'm not sure if she was in on the whole thing or not because we get a lot of her backstory of her being in this cult by the way Ann Dowd and cults. Oh yeah, yeah. I never trust Ann Dowd. Yeah, and especially in a cult. <laughs> yeah. I I kind of assumed you guys had the same reaction. She is uh, for the like most of her arc, she's portrayed so sympathetically, and the whole time because of leftovers, yeah. I was like, no, no, nope, nope. no. <laughs> Fuck this Never. lady. Yeah. <laughs> but but we we it the reveal comes that the grandma was involved in this satanic cult. So you know, I I I am assuming probably correctly that Ann Dowd was the one that brought up the body yes. out of the grave. Okay, so but how aware how in on it was the grandma? So no, so she was, okay, she so was here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It. Well, definitely. she I believe that Ann Dowd was the one who dug her up and everything, but they show her at the very end, she was like she is the queen, quote unquote. So like she wasn't just in this cult, she was like one of the head people. She was for like this the cult. one. Yeah, but she, she was didn't have a head. Her head was gone. <laughs> oh my god! Are you making a pun right now, no. or what are you trying to okay. say? So why? Did hey, I liked it. That was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Why did her head have to be like? There, it was part of the whole ritual, which is yeah. like kind but of. They're like kind of. I just kind of took it as a thing of like we're giving our knowledge and everything else like to you, like literally in a physical way. We're giving you like our heads as like but kind was of a ritual that, thing. Was that Anne Dowd just taking it upon herself to to? you know crown this mm. demon king or was the grandma in on she, like no she was, was she was 100 percent in yeah. on it there i mean if you look at the photos in the photo book like it is her coronation ceremony that we're seeing essentially right. she knows what's going on she know the letter also that she writes to her daughter where she's like once this all pays off you'll see that it's all worth it or whatever like, yeah yeah she, yeah that letter actually there's makes a, a lot of sense okay. like okay. reading seeing it a second time that letter that she sees the first time because the first time you see it you're like 
that's ominous. I don't really know what that means. But then knowing where the yeah. story goes, you're like, oh, because in her mind, we're doing this all for some higher demon power I to wanna, make like the king of hell. Now that we're on this, I want to read one little part of um of Brett's email. While the supernatural end of the stick was fun and important for gripping a wider audience, it was too prevalent in the end scene. At the end of a movie like this, or even this film specifically, I want to be asking myself if the events were truly supernatural or the result of mental illness. The ending seemed rather con- concretely occult, but I'd like to hear what you guys have to say about this. Um, okay. So I I understand that sentiment. Um, like I said, that's where I thought the movie was going, was that it was going to kind of teeter that line where Isn't you don't really know. both? But Yes, but I do think it falls pretty heavy on the demon side, but I don't mind that. I just mean, the because, demon should definitely happen. Yeah, like, that was real. Yeah. I don't think that that was just purely a subject of mental illness. Great. I mean, I think that Tony Collette, by the end of her time, was, like, going pretty insane, which yeah. was probably because a little bit of demon. the mental illness <laughs> as well as the demon shit. Yeah. But I, I didn't really mind that because I don't think every horror movie or thriller necessarily has to be quote-unquote psychological, where it's one of those movies where you have to question, did any of this happen or anything? Um, it was funny. It's the same thing like that movie Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Like, it obviously happened, but it can still be like a metaphor at the same time. Like I never saw Colossal. That was, a, that was a solid movie. I like that. It's a, it's it's about alcoholism. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is, yeah. that's actually a really good comparison because... Anne Hathaway is very much an alcoholic, and the story is about her dealing with her addiction, but also she's controlling a giant monster. So yeah, <laughs> right. And it's proven in that movie that all that does happen, it's not right? Just in her head, right? Um, same thing with Hereditary. Like it, all of this did happen, but yeah. at the same time, it's kind of like an allegory for mental illness, depression, like I, um, I just the stuff you pass agree. on throughout generations. Yeah, yeah one hundred percent. I I agree with that uh, take. I I was definitely okay with there being that decisive of an ending, and I thought that you know the final shot was very effective. Um, Rosemary's baby, (laughs) are you talking about that Rosemary's baby scene at the end? When you say final shot, you mean the diorama or the actual close up of Peter's face? No, the diorama. Okay, okay. I I just thought that entire sequence, the last fifteen minutes or so, I think played out very very well. If anything, the problems I had with the dealing like. I was talking to Grant about this movie, uh, Friend of the Pod, and he he did bring up the fact that like the back half of the movie, it, it kind of does get surprisingly deeper into horror things we've seen before than you may have expected, be, just because the front half of it is such an original story. Um, and maybe I was feeling that a little bit probably two-thirds through the movie where the seances are happening, and I'm like, they're really doing seances in this movie? Yeah, it does... It- does go a little bit into tropes and everything else, but it was different enough that I don't bother. Yeah, ex- it, does, it didn't bother me. Exactly. It didn't... I, I read a really interesting quote the other day, and this kind of applies to, like, everything that we watch. It was by Emily Nussbaum, who is a uh, TV reporter for The New Yorker, and she said, at a certain point, uh, getting mad at a movie or a TV for being made of tropes is kind of like being mad at a tree for being made of wood. Like, yeah. it's kind of gonna be made of that. It's yeah. kind of gonna have some and, of those elements. And the hereditary... It, it it leans on things when it has to, but not to its detriment. Exactly. It never it uses these things to kind of boost itself up a little more. And I think that the the way Hereditary approaches some of these things, like the seance, it 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 elevates the story because then you get a really amazing scene of her freaking out about the her husband mm. and her son listening to her about this and trusting her about it, like. Mm. 
when 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 we get that moment, we're like, oh my god, this lady is losing her. Well, yeah, we mind. see that, and then also like we see her getting possessed and everything else, and her son just like crying. It's like this huge emotional crux of the movie, and also that establishes that um, that Charlie can through the afterlife write in her book, which ended up becoming a thing later on, where we see her drawing pictures of Peter and then crossing like crossing out his eyes, like basically like killing Peter. Uh, yeah. So it's one of those things that it's used to set up something <laughs> that is original. It's so, like, yeah, me and Adam just, like, literally reacted to just uh, the uh, thought of that. It's uh, so brutal, man. Like, that's... When you hear Charlie's voice coming out of Tony Collette, yeah. it is. And it just, <laughs> yeah, so it did. I... One subtle shot is, like, when she's when Charlie is, like, in the corner in his bedroom and her head falls off, but then it's really, like, a ball bouncing on the floor. Oh, yeah. That oh, was a really and, creepy And a cool thing I noticed, because um, we have a shot earlier in the movie where it's a shot in the corner where I thought that, I was like, did I see something in the corner earlier? But it's just set up where there's just, like, a, like, hoodie, like, leaning on a chair, but it's one of those things where you're waiting for your eyes to adjust to be like, is that a figure there? And there isn't a figure yeah. there earlier, but it, like, sets you up, like, sublimity, subliminally, almost, like, to just, like, kind of pay attention to the shadows well, the and always one, look in the corners the one that got to me is pretty much in the first like 10 minutes of the movie you see the grandma oh yeah in yeah the room mm-hmm. Oof. and that scared the fucking shit out of me and it kind of sets the tone of the movie and it's like, not not, not a big music cue yeah, or anything exactly. else we're not gonna she's dwell on this we're just gonna see it and then we're gonna flip the lights on and she's gonna be gone and that they employ that several times in the movie and going back to what I mentioned earlier about um, uh, Lee picking out something that I didn't see is in one of the wide shots of the outside of the house towards the end of the movie. You you get this this wide shot of the of the house at night and you see all the naked people in the trees. Yeah, uh, and I didn't notice. Oh, you that didn't see that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I picked the, up on that. That that's... I really want to see the movie again just for Jesus, moments like dude. that, just because I didn't you're... see that. Yeah, exactly. Neither. Like. You don't notice that, but then if you do, you're fucking terrified because you feel like you just found out something that you weren't supposed to. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it makes it more haunting. Like, that's what's so amazing is how expertly crafted this because, movie is. And the thing is, that is, it's such a basic psychology thing. I had, I had like a real fear of the dark when I was a little kid, and that is exactly what I was imagining. I was imagining if I looked hard enough, I would see something like that. You know and what the, I mean? the naked people in the attic, too. Like, yeah. that okay, would have yeah. been so If we're going to talk about God, the attic it, scene was <laughs> fucking wild. Just like, it all... Well, okay, so before that actually happens, we have just them, that shot where, you know, uh, she throws the book in the fire, and her husband lights off, and that's when you know, like, all right, this well, is, like, Everything leading up to Everything that leading up to that was, is crazy, but now you're you just like, there's only coming. two people left now, like, there's only two people left. There's no way this is gonna go well. But you see Peter wake up, and then just Tony Collette just ha- clinging on to the corner of the Oof. roof. No, and then dude, no. Between that... <laughs> And then, like, him finally, he starts to move over, and you see her crawl through the air. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's oh a God. shot that could have looked so bad and corny, yeah. but, like, because you're learning to, like, watch through the shadows and everything, you're just so haunted the entire well, people, time that you're watching through People in my theater laughed at that. And, and they... Do you remember? What's, what's that? I was going to say, because, like, we went to a press screening of it, and I've never seen this before at a press screening. But I don't know if you remember this, Hunter, but one of the press actually screamed at yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. That, so, that was so cool because I was, like, holding back, like, actually, like, 
one of the serious moments where there's like an actual like jump. One of the few like jump scares, but it's not a cheap jump scare. But whenever that happens, like a press person went like ah, and I was just like, oh, thank God, like well, <laughs> we can kind of the, relieve ourselves a little bit. The um the things that like really made me scared him. I guess we can kind of go around and, and and say the things that like really got to us. The the grandma at the beginning really got to me, and just the way the movie like kind of knows that you're tense like this is what i love about horror movies is is when they're aware of the tension and they use it to scare you even more like this movie has certain camera moves where it'll like slowly start to pan around and your brain is just telling you that something is about to happen that something's about to jump out at you so you start your heart rate starts to go and the camera move is so it's slow. so just that the slow slow so pan slow. <laughs> and those are the things that got to me just They're the close-up of someone's face and the camera waiting for shifting. something to come around the corner yeah and then <laughs> yeah no, nothing really does this there were several moments in the movie that the sh- the movement of the camera and the just the general pacing of what was happening was so slow i was like almost sh- shocked I was like I've I've almost never seen scenes play out like that except for in like 70s movies where things were just generally slower like one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah. there are scenes that just pan across a scene for five minutes and it's someone just doing it's, something yeah and it truly it was jarring and it really made those moments a lot better uh personally for me I think maybe the most hor- just generally appalled and horrified I've been of any visual ever is her flossing her neck off. Oh my God. In, in the attic. Everything Dude. in the attic was I, just so, so like I, fucking yeah. under your skin crawling. Yeah, and like. it really, and it genuinely toward the end, I mean like he, it is it is kind of leaning on tropes but also not it just it becomes a great get out movie for peter of just like no please please go please get out of the house him just screaming like mommy mommy like just like sobbing oh and her banging her head on the attic roof okay yes oh Oh, my god oh my god that was so (laughs) scary okay another scene speaking of banging your head that really got to me was peter and the death scene where he sticks his hand up and his face starts getting Uh, puffy like charlie and he starts banging his head on the desk another moment that could have been really corny yeah, yeah no but like it, it freaked it was just out, it was just so freaky even... and even like one of those things um because it was funny i never actually saw it i know that you did but uh whenever because i i knew it was going to happen whenever uh earlier whenever he's in oh are you gonna peter's... talk about that smile movie? yeah yeah, yeah okay so <laughs> whenever uh, i was thinking peter, that. whenever peter like looks over i was like he's about to see a reflection of himself that's gonna not gonna match him it was him kind of smirking and i was like that could have looked very like truth or dare, in, no, but where it, it was didn't. like CGI smile. It was <laughs> scary, man. It, it, Adam, yeah. what are what are some moments that really got to you? I um I put this in my review too, but like I didn't nothing like particularly made me jump in this movie. Um, just because you know like the way music is utilized in horror movies, I'm just desensitized to that. Mm. But the thing that made me scared, like just like to the bone, about this movie is the fact that when it ends, that's it. Like, the good guys do not prevail. Or good guys, like, I don't know if that's even the right term, but, like, the the demons, like, they win. Like, they get the king. That's all there is to it. It's a very bleak ending. There's yeah. no hope. Yeah, they There's have no the king of hell. There's no goodness about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone's dead. Yeah, and, 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 Dowd, and Dowd tells us exactly what has just happened and why they did it. And then they're like, now you're payment. Hail payment. And then it's over. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, there's no <laughs> glimmer of which, hope. Which, um, that is one of my main criticisms of the movie is that final mo- monologue that she has 
um, is a good example of just like clunky exposition that the movie has, which exposition is necessary in a movie and you kind of need it to understand what's happening. Um, And I think Ari Aster did an amazing job at writing this screenplay. It's just, it could have been a little bit more smoothed out, a little bit more baked in. I think that final moment was just a little bit too much of like, hey, we're going to explain everything that just happened in the movie in case you didn't know. Here's it all spelled out for you and end. Okay, well, I didn't really have that much of an issue. One, because the exposition is like 30 seconds, maybe. Like, it's not really spelling out everything. And like, it really doesn't even tell you that much of like what you watch the entire movie. It just says like, hey, like... Charlie, like, you're here now. Like, Grant, we didn't have to know that it was Charlie. Just seeing Peter stand up and hearing that, like, that was all that you needed to know. Like, oh, it's Charlie now. Yeah. But, like... Well, because he jumps out of the window and he's pretty much dead. He's dead. At, at that he's point. dead. Yeah. yeah. And then you see the light shine down on him and, like, that's Charlie taking over his body. But, um, just seeing that, like, that whole scene with Ann Dowd, and maybe it's also just because I love Ann Dowd, so it didn't really bother me that much, but... It's one of those things where it's like, yes, it was a little bit of exposition, but like you said, like, exposition is kind of necessary in some movies, and I didn't mind that that was just kind of the thing, very end of the movie, just kind of wrap everything up. And then the fact that it's followed immediately, it was almost like they were explaining it to Charlie. Like, Charlie has just been this, like, free-floating spirit around. They're like, Charlie, like, you've done it. Like, now you have this perfect body, and you're good to go. Hail payment. And now um, that's it. Another thing I wanted to, I, I, I definitely get what, what you're saying, Ernest, um, and I kind of agree with you, but uh, separate from that, another thing I wanted to commend this movie for is it, it executed itself so well, and it made its point so clearly known that, I mean, by the, halfway through the movie, Peter is essentially the protagonist. Mm. There's kind of two, but it uh, more and more as we learn, you know, that, uh, what the that Tony Collette is turning like we we become attached to Peter and the movie works so well at establishing him as that character that when he is no longer scared of the demons after he's dead and he stands up I wasn't scared anymore like what was happening was terrifying she was like floating over to the treehouse yeah. and everything That's, and the music I, even becomes happy exactly it's like it, it almost yeah. like you're watching this whole movie from Peter's perspective and as soon as he's turned exactly. it's like Ah, yeah, we it won, was, it and grew, it's like no. <laughs> it was it was yeah. great soundtracking, and it was just so well. It looked perfect, and the the point was so perfectly portrayed that like w- when he was no longer scared, I was like, oh, like the the images were still horrifying, and it just wasn't having the same effect think, because it didn't want to have the I same think effect. Tony Collette is the one to really take away from the cast in this one. But he is so fucking. He did good. very well. Yeah, I Alex did Wolf so well. Uh, I also we should give shouts to Gabriel Byrne who who played the, the father. Yeah, who played a very trying father. I was hoping for a little bit more from him. He, yeah, does, he doesn't anything, get a I big did, scene. I did want a little bit more from him. Um, he never. He never, like, bugged me or anything. I think another thing that I missed my first viewing was I didn't realize he was a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. which that explains a lot of his character motivations, why he's just like, you're doing people things that crazy people do. Stop yeah. doing these things. And then we see him, like, writing out the whole, like, the letter to the psychiatric association. And you can tell that he's writing it from a psychiatrist perspective, especially, like, when he gets the phone call about somebody um, digging up the grave and everything. 
I kind of thought that was just like, oh, of course, it's going to come back to haunt him because he didn't tell everybody about this. But it makes sense from a psychiatrist perspective. Somebody just lost their mother. You don't yeah. want to also throw this sense of worry and it's everything else because that would send yeah that would yeah. actually escalate the situation more so than make it better yeah I, he was kind of the quiet mvp of this movie because he yeah. looked like he was about to like just lose his mind at any second like what, he's just uh, when he breaks like, two emotionally broken people yeah when he and, breaks down in the car i mean that was a good moment yeah and he says it like he is trying to protect his son like mm. his wife is yeah. losing her mind you know making these fucking dioramas of like really traumatic moments uh, and of her own decapitated daughter yeah exactly yeah. God, that was she's, so she's like it's a neutral view of what happened it's <laughs> <laughs> just like he's just like i just need to take care of my son right now although another nitpick when um when he picks up his son at school why does he take him back home why doesn't he take him to the hospital well that's what i was talking about with kind of afterward you're thinking oh they're making bad choices throughout um that was particularly one i mean like i was saying with just the the classic movie through the house chasing where he keeps going up and up in the house yeah classic yeah it's just things like that it during the movie did not bother me okay so well for one i'm assuming if you have a broken nose all you gotta do is set that shit and then you're fine you don't really (laughs) need to go to i broke my nose multiple times it's not something you go to the hospital for you just bandage it up and then you're fine (laughs) <laughs> like a broken nose. If anything, maybe he should go to like his dad's office to be a psychiatrist to see like what the hell is going he on. Banged but, his own head. Yeah, but uh, up leading up to that, he already like said they called his father like like kind of having like a mental breakdown and stuff. So like this is a thing that's known what's happening, and they're just kind of trying to push through it. I I understand that that is a nitpick um, that you can have with this movie, but uh, yeah. That that didn't really one one me. moment that I liked though was the sleepwalking scene with the ants. Oh, Ooh, a the, dream within oh. a dream, which almost never works, but it worked in this yeah, movie. This, this <laughs> really worked. The lighter fluid scene that was really really fucking scary. The, for well, it's a callback to the earlier scene where uh, she did that before. Oh, she yeah, she just always like left like he's always called that against her. Yeah, and then she's doing it again. You, yeah, well, you basically get get to see that play out and she just and the way that she so casually uh spills that info out to and doubt of like and like of course i didn't mean to i just was about to kill him it's fine i put the match out <laughs> yeah and then i mean that that was the probably the first moment where you're like i'm losing my faith well, in this lady that that and then also like in the first part where she first wakes up from the dream seeing the ants and then she like just blurts out like i never wanted to be your mother and it's like one of those things that you watch it and you're like oh my god like What's happening? That's why, like, I'm just like, they have to be awake right now. She's just, like, lucidly, like, just dumping all this information and stuff. But she's still dreaming. And then she wakes up from that. And that's that dream is what sent her, like, really into the spiral where she started doing the seance and everything else. Another question I had is, like, I was thinking about the shimmer thing that represents the spirit. So that floats into Peter at the end. And we understand that that's Charlie's spirit. Mm -hmm. But we see that same shimmer earlier is that supposed to be the grandma is it's, that it's payment it's the spirit that has been around like forever well because okay because i'm trying to i'm trying to think back you've seen it twice so you probably have this fresher so we get the moment of well obviously first is the funeral then we get the moment of the phone call about the grave being dug up and then i'm pretty sure that moment happens with charlie seeing the shimmer and then she goes out and sees the grandma then by she the sees bonfire. The yeah, I just kind of, um, I think that there's two ways you can look at. Either that 
a it's just it's payment himself Slash otherwise like grandma is yeah well both? also it could just be like that is just spirits it's not necessarily one spirit or another spirit but like they can be like two different yeah, it's types all, it's of all those naked motherfuckers yeah yeah that's what it is <laughs> well but, like, I, okay that was a little weird to me thinking about the the naked people because the when i when i was what i was thinking when cult. when they were in the in the treehouse is that those weren't spirits that they were actually like real people that were just part of the cult because Ann dowd like she's a real person right she's not a spirit yeah no she's so, she's alive but i mean so that's all mean, these other people this could also be like cult. dead dead cult members it's too. just it's just very unclear it, well it's the way it's the way that they are i thought that they were like spirits or dead people because of basically their skin color um it's because like gray. it's like a gray like yeah. blue hue to it where and out is like very much just like still yeah. a live human being and there are some live human beings that are in that are upstairs in that treehouse tree thing at the yeah, end for sure. but they also are those like blue gray hue people so they're like cult members of the past that okay. are there like dead cult members because i mean we also see the decapitated grandma there too but so what it's about like the, alive and dead what about the the dude from the funeral is he a spirit i think is that he, he is person? just like a demon that's the way that i view him is that he was just like this demon this demonic entity yeah well i think it is that they are physical beings because half of the cult members from the ending are at the funeral at the beginning and she addresses no them way. at the funeral like that there's so many strange yeah that's that yeah yeah that there are like there are cult members that that's true i forgot about that but that that she just like i didn't know my grandma would have all these people all these strangers here but those are obviously like live cult members right i took it as them being them being real um even though they're i i feel like they're um they kind of materialized into the attic at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's why I thought that those were spirits. Yeah. That's that's why that was my general. It's just it wasn't. Thing. There was no clear distinction between the two. Um, obviously, if if you're a headless body floating around, then you're, you know, you're not. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> is that so obvious though. Between, is that it's actually it's an actual body. You're not a spirit. It's I, a corpse. I think whether or not they were like real physical beings. I think their presence, nevertheless, like either way, was felt. In yeah, the same I don't. Way I don't think that be. that's the most important thing about the movie, though. I feel like that was more so. If anything, it might have also been a visual thing, so they don't just have a bunch of just like light shimmers just shining around. Like, ah, oh, oh, there's another one. Like, mm, I don't, I don't, I don't like thinking about this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, I think the last like hour of the movie is really effective building tension. You know, the the first hour is like this very kind of just tragic family drama, the a story of a woman pretty much being driven into her own sadness and depression and insanity because of her family history. And I do like thinking about the the title, like you were saying earlier, how you go from thinking how it's the story about mental illness that, that goes through the family to it being a story about demonic possession that goes through the family. And then it kind of, they both get intertwined. I just think that if, um, if you're really, if you're in the theater being scared taking in all the horror it's amazing it's a fucking masterwork it's a masterpiece <laughs> but as a film and as a, as some of the storytelling things and some of like the details of like how the story is presented and 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 told it, there are some issues where it's a little it's a little clunky um but as a horror movie as a as a scary experience that that 
just really sticks with you and makes you like kind of look at things a little different and be scared of just your own surroundings it's really really good and before i before i wrap up i want to read one last thing from brett's email um he says i continually felt in the back of my head despite being in a pack theater after not eating much of anything all day my stomach was was left filled with dread as i left the theater at midnight there was no movement i couldn't shake the feeling that i hadn't really gone outside but merely stepped into a diorama Mm. Okay, so, so you kind of walk away from this movie like so shaken. That's so two things. One, um, I was going to say uh, I said something to Adam whenever we got out of the theater that like thank God Ari Aster was a great director and screenwriter with this because I was immediately thinking after seeing this, thank God M Night Shyamalan didn't make this movie because <laughs> if M Night would have made this movie, it would have been like and guess what? They were all just dolls in a diorama the whole time, yeah. and it would have been so stupid. Yeah, and it's but, like, like that little girl it? playing with puppets. Yeah, and yeah, you have yeah. seen been like, oh, Tony Collette, uh, yeah. Six Sense, yeah. uh, I get it, but it would have just been really stupid, and I would have hated that. Um, the other thing is, I understand your criticisms of it. I guess that. And I think that you do have some valid points about everything, but those issues are just nitpicks to me. And overall, even outside of this, just looking at this as just a horror movie, I think that as a film, this is truly excellent. Like, I think that this is one of the best movies in recent memory, really. This is my favorite movie of the year. Um, yeah, same. This this movie really exemplified to me the difference between uh, popcorn horror and a good movie like it i i had a great time in the movie at theater when i saw it it was fun it was it was you know it was good for the time being and it left no impact on me whatsoever i i can't even name any shots from that movie that i still think about from it yeah from it like there are shots that in, i think of the dancing clown scene yeah that's, I mean, that's about it there are shots that worked like definitely in the moment but this movie and it's it's not because of the shots themselves. It's because of everything that went around the shots. It's these shots were contextualized perfectly, and there, I've never had a movie where probably like there are maybe like fifteen different things that make my skin crawl. I've never reacted to a movie like that before. Uh, when my parents were were younger, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but when my when my parents were younger, they always talk about this. They saw Silence of the Lambs in theaters. And it, the effect they describe is how this movie affected me, where when the lights are off, I'm thinking about specific visuals that I yeah. saw during this movie. Yep. And that is kind of priceless in a way. Yeah, like, it's going to be burned into my head, like, for forever, really. Yeah, and, and Adam, like, I can't even imagine what something like this must be for you because you watch movies, like, pretty much for a living. Like, you consume so many movies. Like, I... I wish I watched as many movies as you and I I feel like you're at a point where it's hard for you to really feel something major from a movie um especially like a horror movie like do you feel like it's rare to really walk away from a movie thinking about it and like really really being affected by it Well it's funny cuz I was like literally just talking about this with my friend the other day because we were talking about and he's like he watches just as many as i do and we were talking about do you ever just like wonder why you watch movies so much <laughs> like why did we pick this as our like passion mm. and i was like yeah i always wonder that because you know you see movies like truth or dare 
or like Simple <laughs> in Time or like Mute on Netflix that are just so <laughs> bad. <No way. laughs> um, and you're like, man, why do I do this? Like, why, why even bother? And then you see stuff like Hereditary, um, and uh, you just you're like, oh yeah, that's why. Like, this is why. This is like my favorite art form because it just really it is art. Like this movie is artistic from start to finish. Like every frame of frame of this movie, whether it's unpleasant or not, is beautiful. It's mm. like genuinely gorgeous to look at. It's so detailed. It's so vivid. It is so emotionally raw. Um, like everything about this movie is truly unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. Um, and yeah, that's. And that's a great point because it's it just kind of gives me faith in the industry, really, that people can still make movies that surprise me. Which, like you said, I watch movies for a living and on a weekly basis, um, and it's hard to surprise me. And what do you know? This movie really did surprise me. And that probably feels really good. And I think even though this movie is borderline traumatizing, and I <laughs> honestly don't know if I could really recommend it to my mom and dad um <laughs> it really is art and it really is something that will probably influence the genre and just film in general yeah for I, years i think come. that it definitely will um it's funny uh last night we were talking with some friends at uh this bar that we were out and um I said something about Hereditary, about how it was amazing. And uh, this one girl was just like, oh, my God, I really want to see that. I love Tony Collette. And I was like, do you like horror movies? And she was like, no. And I was like, then you should not watch this movie. <laughs> like, she, I was just like, if anything, like, this is a movie that's, uh, if you're not, if you're scared of horror movies, wait till you can, like, get it at home. Um, I want people to go see this movie in theaters because I want people to give this movie money and support it. But, like, if you're really scared of horror movies, wait till it comes out at home. So, if anything, uh, you can pause and just, like, take a moment to digest you can hide under the covers if you want to or something yeah. but like if you are easily skittish or anything like that would not be able to recommend this movie as amazing as i think that I is what's really what's really funny is if you get on imdb and you look at pictures of ari aster he looks like a young like ron howard he's so happy looking like he's so <laughs> oh, unassuming. yeah he's he's very like he's young <laughs> sean fantasy asked him like what's it like being a young hot director in hollywood <laughs> uh, but, yeah like and yet he he haunts my dreams now yeah. fucking, thanks yeah. ari yeah um All yeah right. well i think that about does it it's a great movie I think uh, we'll be thinking about it for a long time. I'll probably sleep with the lights on, or I'll whip out my little nightlight. I'm just going to bring my dog. This is going to sleep right my, in my arms tonight. A, a nightlight would probably make it even creepier. Yeah, because then you can see in the shadows. I don't know everything. what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm probably not even going to sleep. Um, but I literally turned out all the lights in my house when I got home. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for coming on, Adam. It's, it's been great. Yeah, it's been therapeutic. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it, it, it is therapeutic to talk yeah. about this movie. Honestly, I've been really busy, so I saw it during the day. I went straight to work, and I have not processed it until now, <laughs> and now I'm scared all over again. That's why I'm re I'm yeah. acting like this. I'm acting like a little. <laughs> what do you right uh, What do you want to plug, Adam? Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Adam J Sidorius, and Letterboxd at just Adam Sidorius. And you know what? If you want to read my reviews, you can go to critics.com, C-R-I-T-T-I-C-K-S, and you can read my hereditary review. Yeah, it's a. I really love your hereditary review. I definitely recommend everybody checks that out. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks, man. All right, what about you guys? 
Um, I am on uh, Twitter at Hunt Mobley. Um, I'm also on Letterboxd at the same name. If you guys are interested in reading my full-length reviews, since I kind of had to do rapid-fire reviews for uh, all the movies I watched while being uh, knocked out by Percocets, then read my slightly coherent reviews on Letterboxd. I had them proofread, so they should be fine. But I gave like some full-length reviews for all those movies. Drew? I'm at um I'm at Drew Dietzen D I E T Z E N on Twitter um on Instagram on Letterbox D I am uh Drew, Drew D, D. <laughs> is it not Letterboxed it's Letterbox D see he, Adam calls it Letterbox D and I honestly I trust no him I stopped I after you guys corrected me so oh I no, have no oh. Idea oh, okay. <laughs> oh no. I I have no idea either <laughs> all right well um. I'm on uh, critics.com. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm on Fandango, um, uh, Collider Media. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's about Nerdist. it. But yeah, just just man, I'm I'm fucked up right now. I'm scared. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Calderonist on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. I am working on my uh, best films of the decade. So yes. I have them up 40 films per decade, which was tough. Um, yeah, but I, I have it up. I'm still tinkering a little bit, but I actually didn't have as much trouble doing it as I thought I was going to. Okay, so. yeah. Yeah, me and uh, Ernest have both kind of taken yeah. by ourselves. I'm doing every year up until 2010. Now I'm just going to yeah. do, do my best of the decade for 2010s and then best of the decade if, for 2000s, In case 90s. anyone was wondering, the best movie of the 2000s is Shrek 2, and that's an objective fact. So... You know, just clearing the the field out there. Um, no, well, no debate about that. You're forgetting Dragon Ball Evolution. How dare you! All right, we should go on that note. Okay. But. Well, <laughs> um, email us at webottommike at gmail dot com and check us out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at webottommike. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Hopefully, we'll have you again soon. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, dude. Thanks, man. Peace out. Peace. Just for one day. We can be heroes. Just for one day.